Welcome, everybody, to uh, The Talking Beard, brought to you by The Same Page Stories. Um, today, we're going to talk about insurance. Both myself and my brother, AK, here are insurance agents. Um, we have a combined total of, what, like seven years between us? Yeah. Eight years? Closer to eight years between us, experience. Um, so we kind of wanted to get into that, but, uh, before we go into that direction, I just wanted to give you a reminder, go ahead and follow the podcast on Spotify or iTunes. Uh, it's the talking beard brought to you by the same page stories. Also check out the website, samepagestories.com, where you can find not only a video version of this, obviously, if you're already watching, um, but you can also check out some of my other blog posts about other things regarding adulting 101 and some thoughts that kind of just come to the top of my head. So without further ado, we'll get into it. So this is the second podcast. Um, last one, I think, went pretty well. We talked about millennial parents. So we just had I just had on a, a, a few of my friends and we kind of dove into what it's like to be a parent uh, it, for our generation. So. I think we're going to be taking things in a little bit of a different direction this time around. Um, but while some people might be familiar with kind of who you are, um, after one of my posts, uh, posting chapter one, part one and part two on the, on my blog regarding my story, um, I kind of wanted you to just introduce yourself a little bit, tell everyone who AK Kamara is. Just, just some of your story. Yeah, man. Um, I guess I'd like to describe myself as the older, slightly better looking, slightly smarter version of Zeus. Duh. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm the oldest in our family. Aziz is actually the youngest. Uh, him and his twin brother, Latif. We grew up in Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Uh, my journey to, I guess, where I am right now. Um, as the oldest, I was given kind of the, the most rope and I fell into a pretty rough group of kids. You know, we did a lot of partying from a very young age, you know, typically what you would think of, um, you know, the outside kids, you know, the bad kids or whatever. But through those experiences, I always had a good, I guess, sense of, of purpose. I learned a lot from our grandparents and from other people that I interacted with and I knew that I had greater potential than what maybe was afforded to us through our lot in life. Yeah. And by the time I became, you know, a, a young man about to turn 18, I decided to kind of take that, um, that task really to heart and say, I'm going to change my circumstance. I'm not going to be a statistic. I'm not going to be a victim of my circumstance. I'm growing up poor, having a father that, goes to prison, having friends that are in and out of jail, you know, stuff like that. Typical fuck up shit. Yeah. Um, and so I left and I came to Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, I was, you know, kind of jumping around from pyramid scheme to pyramid scheme. And <laughs> I ended up uh, finding one that is still a shitty pyramid scheme, but um, it taught me a lot about people. Yeah. It taught me a lot about how I could pretty much using my ability to talk to people, using my ability to connect with people, I could really talk to anybody in any walk of life. And I found out that I learned a lot about humanity when I was 18 years old. 
and um, it really prepared me for the version of myself that I am today. And yeah, met my wife. Um, you know, we really quick from the time that I met her, I proposed her like three and a half months after I met her. And the reason I even bring that up is because it's kind of a big tenant of who I am. You know, my wife and and having kind of that that idea that I can join together with someone and move forward in our life. Um, and getting married at a super young age, you know, by the time I actually, you know, proposed her, I was still 18 and, um, or actually I just turned 19 and I proposed her and then we got married like a month after I turned 20. Um, but she actually motivated me a lot to kind of take what I already knew that I could control my own destiny. I could become whatever I wanted. That's what I already had figured out through life. But she kind of pushed me even harder and said, <clears throat> you should go to college, you know? And education was something that wasn't important to me in high school. Um, well, I mean, you dropped out, so well, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> no, I, I dropped out, I, I didn't give a fuck. Um, I also, honestly, was gonna be a musician. I played bass guitar with my best friend uh, in a band, multiple bands with him. But um, yeah, man, honestly, she just was like, you're better than this. Like, you're smart, you can do whatever you want, and just kind of reinforce that. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to apply myself, and sure as shit, I applied to a bunch of colleges, got obviously uh, denied because my ACT in high school, I think it was 16, I took it, didn't give a shit, I didn't retake it again, and then um, my GPA, uh, when I dropped out, and then I went back and, and did like an online high school type of thing. Which is, you distinguish, it wasn't your... Um, what was it? It wasn't your GED. No, no. It was... I got an actual high school diploma from North Dakota Division of Independent Study. Yeah. Um, and I was a credit and a half short, so I, I did that. But my combined GPA, my overall GPA, for my high school career was 1.6. <laughs> so, as you can imagine, I'm applying to, like, University of Minnesota, denied. Yeah. Um, NDSU, denied. Uh, MSUM, denied. But I got accepted into this program they call it the Gateway Program. If you're essentially low-income you're independent, all these different factors or whatever, you can get conditionally approved for one year, two semesters. And if at the end of those two semesters, you have at least a 3.0 GPA, you get a seamless transition to MSU and Morehead. Mm -hmm. And so now I gave a shit, right? And I applied myself and I used this whole theory that I thought of, you could really apply yourself to be whatever you want as long as you don't have, you know, a mental deficiency, like you're not, you know, lower IQ or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I cared about school at this time, and I gave a shit. So I had a 4.0 GPA or 3.98. And uh, after a year, instead of doing a seamless transition to MSUM, I said, screw it. Looked up the requirements um, of when you apply to a college, and they don't look at your GE, I mean, your, uh, your ACT or look at your high school uh, GPA. And most schools say after 25 credits or 30 credits, they don't even care about your high school record anymore. So because I had like 20, I think I had 28 credits, applied with you again, and they only looked at my college transcript. They didn't care about my high school stuff or my, um, you know, ACTs, and I got accepted. So um, throughout that, you know, just the college experience, I'm married, right? So I'm married going to college. Um, I decided that I want to kind of go in the political field. So... I do like I've done with most things. I just kind of looked to see where does this group meet? Who are the people? And I showed up looking exactly kind of like how I look right now to a Republican meeting 
of college Republicans and <clears throat> dove in head first. And like I said before, you know, you control your own destiny. This is this mantra that I've carried. So I'm like, I could leave this organization. And within a year and a half, um, I was leading the University of Minnesota Club. And then uh, another year from that, I became the uh, state president for all the college Republican chapters. Uh, even was contemplating a national run for national chair. Uh, but in politics, politics is politics. And, um, <laughs> you know, some things derailed early on. So I just decided not even to announce because I didn't have the right parts uh, in place. But the point is, is that I was able to achieve so much more if you were just rewind the hands of time four years before to see that here I am in this small town. I mean, I like my hometown from what it provided, but it's a shitty town from my perspective of like what I would want. I don't want to live in a town like 7,500 where there's like two really industries and um, everybody bases their perception of you based off of your family. Right. That, that shit just wasn't working for me. But yeah. you rewind four years and you look at that and then you look at me four years later and you're like, holy shit. Like everybody was like, man, you're so much different. And I just, the reason I bring this very long story to a conclusion is that it just, I guess, proves, and I know it's anecdotal, um, but I don't think I'm a super intelligent guy. Okay. I don't have like an IQ of 150 or something insane. Um, I've only taken a Scientology IQ test. And <laughs> I think I got like a 126 or something. But that's big as shit probably. Um, but my point is, is that I'm not like a genius. Yeah. I don't have a ton of means, financial means, growing up the way that we grew up. Um, but I think that if people can just accept that they control their own life and not take excuses, you really have unlimited potential. Yeah. And I think that I'm kind of an example of that. I think you're an example of that. There's plenty of other people that I try and encourage on a daily basis sometimes that are in my life where I try and explain them like, you're not, you choose to be a victim of your circumstance or not. And if, if you choose to, to be this thing that, you know, this lot in life has given you, that's your choice. Yeah. No one else made that choice for you. Even if you fuck up. Yeah. You can most of the time, unless you're like Ted Bundy serial killer, right? <laughs> um, I watched Ted Bundy. Yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Ted Bundy Shout killer. out to Zach Efron. But um, outside of that, where you do something so egregious, there's really no coming back from society. Yeah. Even if you fuck up and get busted for drugs or whatever, you can come back from that and really take control um, at that point and, and really be what you want to be, do what you want to do. You can... You know, shake hands. I've sat down with Stanley Hubbard, who's a billionaire, sat across the table from him. The guy absolutely loved me. And I broke bread with someone who has more money than I'll ever see in my life. And he respected the fact that I came to him as an equal. I, yeah. In my mind, I viewed him as an equal. Yeah. And I know people might think that that's insane, but why not? Right? Right. Why, why can't you view someone, they're another human being, their ability maybe it's outperformed your ability, but you're still a human being. You still connect. So I just, I think that that mentality um, really has led me to where I am right now. And, and we both worked for the same company. Um, and I think that the field that we're in, what we can do really is something that I wanted to do. I want to be helpful to other people. I want to be educational to other people. I want to inform people just in general um, but yeah, man, that's kind of what's led me to this point. And, and, um, that 
I guess mantra in life has been very helpful. Yeah. Um, and I think that it will continue to, to be helpful going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's actually you, you end on a, a pretty good note and that is your right now, the career path, the career that you're in the career that we're both in, um, you decided to get into because you wanted to help people out. And I, I, you know, I think I've, I've kind of spoken about this before and, and, and anyone who knows me, um, has heard once or twice why I decided to get into this field. Um, and you know, you, you share the same sentiment, um, not so much with the property casualty stuff that just kind of, that just kind of came with it, which is, which is fine. I, I still, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily passionate about that piece. Sure. Um, but I still, uh, really value that, that, that aspect that we bring to the table for me. And I think for you is it was the life insurance that got me into this field. Um, and so I kind of just real quick wanted to, have you share your perspective on, you know, really why you got into it? Just, you know, that I don't, I don't want to limit you too much, but, you know, give me sort of like a truncated, like, you know, what were some of your experiences, you know, share with everyone here, like kind of the biggest one, the biggest obvious one um, and how that kind of brings you to where you are today. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I guess as I navigated through life, um, I ended up like a lot of people that go into the insurance field um, kind of fell into this. Um, I had a strong motivation though of what pushed me to kind of look for this type of um, industry. And, you know, our dad passed away, he died from cancer and, you know, he didn't have a pot to piss in um, financially to speak of. And we had to do the whole GoFundMe type of shit. And I was very nerve wracking trying to figure out like, when are we going to be able to bury him? How, if we're not going to bury him, like, what are we going to do? There's all these things that we had to deal with on a personal level. And that whole experience made me kind of think like, it's kind of fucked up that he didn't have life insurance. Um, and it, it made me even think a little bit more about, well, I know he's had cars. He used to have a taxi cab company. So he's had insurance. Um, you know, maybe he, he sometimes he might have rolled around with black people insurance where, you know, he print off like a fake insurance card. <laughs> but I think uh, definitely there were times in which he was definitely rolling with real insurance. So yeah. it made me think like, so this insurance dude probably sells life insurance. I wonder why he wouldn't have talked to my dad. Or maybe he did and my dad didn't give a shit. I don't know. But yeah. it really kind of got me thinking. And, you know, I was kind of figuring, you know, politics. I love politics. I do. Um but it just wasn't working from like a, an employment perspective. It's just, yeah. it wasn't doing for me what I wanted it to do and what it was requiring me to do was not something I really wanted to do. I didn't want to move from state to state and kind of be um, like a political mercenary for hire, which nothing against. I got friends that do that and they love that. But for me, it just didn't make sense. I had too many obligations. I can't just hop around all over the country working for different campaigns. Yeah. So I kind of decided with that motivation of just kind of wondering about this insurance thing. And, and kind of what would it take to, you know, to put myself in the shoes of that agent to, you know, have a client that obviously has a family and, and, and somehow they end up not getting any life insurance. So with that and the idea that I was going to kind of switch to a new industry, um, I'm good at bullshitting people. I mean, 
let's let's call it what it is. I have the gift of gab. I can talk for hours and hours and hours. And um, sales is something that I've been okay at, but I'm a very honest person. Sometimes so honest that people are like, "Stop being so fucking honest." Yeah. Because um, I just like to give people as much information so they can make their own full decisions, and I trust people until they fuck me over, and then I don't trust them. But <laughs> I, in general, I just trust people. And so, yeah. as I was looking around, I was like, you know, let me see if I can kind of get into sales. And I was approached by, uh, like, I went to you know some company that is like a temp to hire type of thing, and got approached and said, Hey, we got this opportunity to work for an insurance agent. And, um, you know, the other opportunity is to like sell like school books or something. And I was like, well, you know what? I've been thinking about insurance. I've been looking to see how I get. So this actually works awesome. Yeah. And so that's what first got me in. <clears throat> and so kind of taking that, that motivation that I had of after losing dad, you know, I got, you know, did what all agents do, all producers do. You go to class, you learn all about like the, the, the very big picture, how insurance works. And I was fucking blown away yeah. at how much I did not understand. Now, mind you, I already graduated from the University of Minnesota, got a four-year fucking degree. Um, I think that I'm a relatively well-rounded just from like my thought process. Yeah. I, I don't think I'm a moron. Yeah. You're not a dumb person. You're also pretty astute. Right. And yeah. I, I like to know a little bit about a lot of things. Right. So how but, do you get, how, how do you get to yeah. your age and not know right. shit how about I, this? How do I get to 29 years old yeah. and not have a fucking clue how yeah. insurance actually works? Yeah. And so that blew my mind and I was like, damn, this is crazy. And it just made me think about how underserved that industry must be. And so for me, <laughs> Um, you know, learning about the auto and the home and life insurance, it really started to blow my mind. And, yeah. um, I remember, I, you know, we, so we were living together at that time. It was me, you and Beth in, um, we were living together in Woodbury. And I remember when you had, it maybe was when you had started with that company at the time and you had a different company now. Um, and you are an agent, you're not a sub producer now, um, as well as, you know, I am too. But at the time, just being a sub producer and going through the training, there was all this wealth of information and you'd like, you'd come home and you'd be like, dude, look at this stuff. Like, do you, like, we got to look at an umbrella insurance, Paul, we got, we got to look at an umbrella policy and, and, you know, try to figure out the merits of that. But like, we need to look at our liability portion because right now we're driving like with state minimums. I don't know if you, I, I'm, I'm no, sure you guys were and, like, we need to increase this shit because uh, do you have any idea? Like it, it was, it was a sequence of events and it, it, that was just like the auto insurance shit. And then, you know, we get into the life insurance shit and we're like, none of us had any clue. Right. I mean, I, I think I had a, a, a life policy back when I um, lived in Fargo and it was because some person from State Farm was going around to businesses. And um, one of my employers at the time, uh, he was a chiropractor, you know, kind of chatted with her and was like, yeah, you know, you, you guys, why don't you get these policies? And so um, he agreed to pay for like a portion of it or some shit. It was, or maybe it was just, I, see, this is how little I knew about it. But I was like 22 at the time, um, 21 at the time. and. Um, yeah, I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I'll, I'll have a life insurance policy. Why not? Um, but then, you know, shit happened. I didn't really, you know, see the value in it. So I just like canceled it out. So all this time I had been walking around without, without any life insurance. So yeah, when you got into the stuff, um, 
it was huge. And I think that so so basically you start at one company, you were a sub producer there. Yep. Um and you just found yourself in a position where you didn't want to be someone's sub producer anymore. So you then were looking at another company where you could be an agent. Yeah. Um and so you went there, you're like, this is the shit. And about six months later, I pretty much followed suit. So yeah. I stopped what I was doing. Yeah. Um, I got licensed in all my shit. Um, and then yeah, I pretty much I was like, you know what, I want to be an agent too. Then fast forward now, some three and a half years later for me, yep. um, we're office together here at Woodbury, doing the same shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, um I think it's important that like that 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 you share that story and that I share that story as much as possible because I think when someone comes into our office, right, they sit down and they're just like, What's this asshole gonna try to sell me? Like, look, all I need is to just be street legal, you know, because usually when people come into my office, a lot of referrals that I get, um, a, a majority of them, a lot of business. And this this is the same for a lot of agents out there who do property casualty and life insurance. But property casualty, just for anyone out there, um, that's just pretty much auto and home insurance. So when when people are talking about their insurance agent, usually... That's 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 typically typically um, ubiquitous for um, or synonymous for auto insurance agent or home insurance agent. So they're coming in, they're just looking for the best price. Yeah. And if through that process, you know, me, I, I as the agent or you as the agent are evaluating what they have going on, and you see something else that like they genuinely need to have a discussion about, they're like, no, 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 no. I don't even don't don't raise any limits. Let's not talk about coverages or any of that stuff. Just get me in, get me out. Let's let's just bounce. I think a lot of people come in thinking that wherein if they just knew what our experiences were and that we genuinely cared, at least for us, I can't speak for any other agents, right, right. right? But at least for us, if they just knew what our experiences were and that we are truly just trying to help them and have a discussion with them on a thing, if they are A-OK, cool, but like, look, have you had, have you reviewed this? Might cost you more money. But you need to understand the consequences of not having this thing in place. If we're able to do that, like if if more people understood that we genuinely just want to do that, I think the world would be a better place, at least person by person, whoever comes into our office. And I imagine we're not unique. Okay. Yeah. There are a lot of shitty agents out there. Right. A lot of really selfish ones, ones that just care about making money and all that other shit. Just and 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 sort of um concede to that sort of cynicism out there from the from the consumer standpoint and they just say well they don't really want to talk about that so let me just write it put it on the paper they'll send in their bill there are a lot of agents out there who are like that which sucks and it's uh, whether it, those agents also exist within our company and you and i personally know that um but that said we're not unique so i i do wish that other people would give you know their agents like some benefit of the doubt to come in and be like, yeah, they're, they're trying to help me out. They're just trying to make the world a little bit of a better place. Cause if more people had insurance, so much tragedy could be avoided. Um, not necessarily catastrophe because catastrophe, you can't avoid that, but the tragedy that financial catastrophe can be avoided. Right. Well, yeah. So you are right on that. <laughs> but, um, that said, 
if you at least have something to you know follow that and just kind of try to bring you back as close to normal as possible, that would make the world a much much better place. Right. You know. Yeah, I think honestly, fundamentally, fundamentally, people, and like I, I guess to take a step back, I try and put everything into its proper perspective. Okay. Yeah. So I know that people in general, our nature is that we walk through life with all of these uh, preconceived notions, uh, baggage. Yeah. So your mom might've told you that insurance agents are dirty fuckers (laughs) that just want to steal your money. Yeah. Uh, your uncle could have told you that, or maybe you had an experience when you were younger where you didn't really understand. No one really explained it to you, but you had a claim and you felt you got fucked over, Yeah. but you carry all this baggage and people do that with everything, right? Every, like the way that people look at cooking, like, like what they want to cook or, uh, what type of TV they buy? Like, there's all these preconceived notions that yeah. we carry, all this baggage that we carry. Yeah. But insurance is one of those um, categories where people carry a lot of really wrong baggage. Yeah. So I don't fault people when someone comes to my office and they have this, you know, very high wall up where they think that I'm there to literally squeeze every dime penny right. out of them. Right. And to give them the shittiest coverage possible so I can maximize my profits. Yeah. I don't fault them for thinking that. Yeah. Um, because that's just what our industry, our industry is responsible for making people think that because there was a time when consumers really didn't have a ton of choice and there were insurance agents that were raking people over the coals and not telling them how things worked and all they cared about was their bottom dollar. Now, in the age of consumerism with technology and information, people can tell people when you're shitty at your job. Yeah. And so it's caused our industry to actually have to take more accountability. Right. You've seen consumer scores go up for insurance companies all across the board Mm -hmm. because the ones that suck go out of business because no one wants to do business with them anymore. Right. Um, And that trend has probably been going on for a good 40, 30 to 40 years. It it has been transitioning and, and changing. Um, but point is, is that I don't hold any ill will when someone comes and sits down in my office and they don't understand. Cause I always say, you don't know what you fucking don't know. If you don't know something, I can't be mad at you that you don't know it. Yeah. So I take the approach of education, right? When someone sits down, I don't care who you are, what line of, uh, industry you come from. I don't care if you're a doctor or you are a 18 year old out of high school, um, and you cut lines. I'm going to break down how your insurance works mm-hmm. to try and give you a better understanding. Because if, if I can impart anything, even if you don't come with me, I don't care. I mean, if no one ever came with me, I would care because then I would be out of the job. Right. But when I sit down with people, I, I genuinely want them to understand how their insurance works, why they should actually care about having correct coverages. But I can't force them to care. Yeah. I can just try and inform them. And I always say to all my clients, listen, legitimately, I don't care what you pick for coverages. Because if you get into a car accident or you die, unless you're my family member, it does not affect me. Right. I, I mean, I, I genu- genuinely want humanity and people to, to be happy. But it doesn't affect me. If some, yeah. if some guy crashes and they, they have shitty coverages and then they cause a lot of harm to someone else and then they sue them. 
and now their wages are garnished for the next 20 years. It doesn't affect me. Yeah, and that's not that's not to be insensitive. No. It's just coming to terms with the fact, like, look, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to go home brokenhearted, like, oh, man, yeah. I should have, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, right. you know, I mean, sure, they're, they're – there have been some agents who talk about that as re, as it pertains to life insurance, but that's you know that, and I'm, I'm not calling whatever on that, but I'm just saying, yeah, if someone's wages are getting garnished, you're not thinking to yourself, ah, I failed them. It's like no, I talked to you about the coverages, right? So you you're informed. Right. You decided not to do it, right? And that's my point, though. My overall point is that I just try and make that so crystal clear that I don't care what you pick for coverages. My job is to inform you. What I do care. Is that if I don't inform you and something happens, yes. now that's back on me. Right. Even not from a legal perspective, but from a moral conscience. Like, I, I can't, I don't want to have that on my conscience. Right. That I didn't explain to them, so they didn't make an informed decision. Right. And now I just feel like a shitbag. Yeah. And so that's the thing. Is, is That's the crucial part. Is that you, you so long as you offer the information... Right. And I would I and and maybe it's different for you, but for me, I even just say, um, even if I'm not even able to provide the information, so long as I at least offer it, that's a crucial part. Because there are plenty right. of people where I'm I just like, care. hey, do you want to talk about this? Right. Like, hey, man, no, let me get out of here. I'm like, all right, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think the reason I bring this up is that people come to the table with baggage; they have yeah. these preconceived notions. Yeah, I want to try and take this educational uh, approach be able to explain to people from my own experience, from your own experience. And at the end of that process, if they make the choices that I recommend, good for them. Right. If they don't, I'm not bad for them, but you know, that's their choice. And I just, I'd like people to understand like, this is for you to decide yeah. and to try and change that paradigm that exists within our industry. I know there's a lot of us that are doing it. Um, I know of other people from other companies that mm-hmm. are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Just trying to get consumers more educated to understand that insurance truly is the best, one of the only ways mm-hmm. to actually hedge against catastrophic financial loss. Yeah. Legitimately, hands down, yeah. dollar for dollar, there is no better way to do it. The other way that you can hedge against it is you can save up a bunch of money or assets in account right. for a rainy day. Right. And if you hurt someone or something happens, um, that someone says that you're liable for the damages, that you can pay them dollar for dollar. Right. So if you have a million dollars and you had to pay someone $500,000, you have to take $500,000 versus right. if you had a million dollar insurance policy, I can promise you, you did not pay a million dollars for that policy. Yeah. Maybe you paid $20,000 in a lifetime for that policy for a million dollars. So you got $20,000 that you invested and cut off half a million dollars or whatever it is. It's just a better dollar for dollar. Yeah. That's how insurance is. Yeah. That's how it works. So, yeah. 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 I'm going to cut you off for a quick sec. Sorry. Maybe I should turn that on. Maybe get rid of the shadows back there. So that works. Anyway. No. Uh, so you bring up, you bring up something interesting because I think there are some people that have that distrust in the industry so much that they're just like, well, at least I know that money's always going to be there. You know, which is insane to me, but you know, you bring up another really good point, which is like, it's, it's not the fault of the people who come to the office. Mm-hmm. And I, <clears throat> I was, I mean, you were 29 when you found out like all this shit about insurance and that would have made me 25. So we, I mean, and, and we didn't have like resentful 
mean parents, you know, we just had parents who I think were just like not particularly educated on this shit um, because someone didn't provide that information. But I'm sure we still had like our preconceived notions. I personally, I drove around without auto insurance when I lived in Chicago. Yeah. And I know I probably shouldn't be admitting that (laughs) because I don't know, you know, what implications are out there. But I share that with people when they come into my office. I say, look, uh, you know, I was in a startup and cash was a little bit tight for a little while. And that was one of the things that I personally just let go to the wayside and I still was titled on a vehicle. So like, and that's in Chicago too. Like, are you kidding me? So first of all, I don't have any cash. So I don't have any money so I can like, you know, it. Indemnify anyone I might fucking injure or kill, obviously. Uh, But second to that, I'm in Chicago, which is like driving around Chicago is um, a little bit crazy for anyone who grew up in a small um, in a small town atmosphere, whether it was in Fargo or Devils Lake. And that is people can be kind of aggressive and the traffic is insane. So the point is. I, I put myself up for a lot of risk and I did stupid shit because I just simply wasn't educated. Yeah, you didn't know. I didn't know. It'd be one thing if you were just the asshole that's like, yep, I understand how insurance works. Yeah. But fuck everybody else. Yeah. If I crash into them, they can bring me to court and I don't have a pot to piss in anyway, so good luck, asshole. Yeah. That person is a shitty person. Yeah, that person is a shitty person. But that's... Whereas I was just like... Maybe 1%, 1% yeah. of, I think, the population that understands how insurance works, but yeah. then chooses to be so selfish that they're like, I don't give a shit or, you know, stuff like that. So I just think that the the thing to keep in mind and keep perspective is that I think there's a lot of agents and you said this already. There's a lot of agents out there for a lot of different companies that truly do want to pass on education to you. So just try and hear them out, man. Yeah. And, and if, if, if you come across an agent that you think is a slime ball, go find another one. They're out there. There's so many good yeah. ones oh, yeah. that genuinely care about making sure that the coverage that you're going to end up purchasing is going to do what you want it to do. Right. And I would just, again, I would just, my PSA would be to try and give a, give your agent a chance to try and, and really explain how your coverage works. Because all I, like I like we've said, a, you know, like four or five times now. Once you get that educational piece, it like it opens up your your minds. Like you want to be able to teach other people. Yeah, it's not just a means to an end of, of just a job to collect money. Yeah, because you could go do a lot of other things that are far less, um, I guess, uh, impactful on people's lives. Yeah, right? I mean, we have to do continuing education. Yep, we have to pay money to continue to re up. I mean, there's all these different things we have to do. I'd rather, if I was going to hustle people, I'd go do something in a different industry that didn't require me to be licensed and all this different stuff. Yeah. I could be censured and I could be fined. I'd rather go do something in a different industry where that doesn't exist. Yeah. And I think that's the majority of this, uh, it, you know, um, it's the majority of the industry now. Yeah. Because of all of these consumer mm-hmm. protections that exist now. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something, you know, so, so we, we kind of discussed like our, our overall perspective on, you know, what it's like to sit down with someone and want to educate them on, on insurance. Um, I kind of wanted to dive in just a little bit in terms of like, um, 
I don't know, coverages and, and how they work. I don't want this to be like a conversation about like, oh, so this is like insurance yeah, yeah. 101. But, you know, just, just some things that you see that like if some things that you would educate everyone on yeah. that you think would just make the world a better place. Some specific things like um, starting, I think specifically, we'll, we'll go the property casualty side, like um, like auto insurance. Like what are, if you were to say... Like, these are the three most important things everyone needs to understand about auto insurance. Like, what would that be to you? Yeah. So, if I had to think about three things that everybody should know about auto insurance, I, I guess I would probably start off that um, the purpose of auto insurance, truly the purpose, if you look at how the premium breaks down, okay, the purpose of auto insurance is to make sure that if you cause physical injury to someone else physically or to someone else's property, even if it's not your intention, it's the accident. That's the purpose of insurance. So if you cause damage to them, that they don't sue you and take everything from you. Right. That's the purpose of it. So the number one thing is just when you look at what your limits are, think in your mind, if you got in a car accident and you really fuck someone up, and let's say they have a broken leg and they have to, you know, ambulance has to come pick them up. Right. And they're in the hospital for a couple of days and their legs really shattered and they've got pins and everything. And then they have to go to rehabilitation. Even if you didn't try to, okay, you weren't like mad raging. It was an accident. You slid through ice and you smashed into someone. You are still legally responsible for their damages. Yeah. And so when they turn around and they call their lawyer or they call... You know, Swayman, ask Jackson, Seaman, or, or ask Gary. Is ask that is Gary? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ask Gary. Yeah. When, when they call them, they're going to say, "Oh yeah, yeah." Your yeah. medical bills are going to be paid for by the person that causes to happen. Yeah. So if that happens, you got to think to yourself: thirty thousand dollars in the state of Minnesota—that's the minimum liability. Is thirty thousand dollars enough? Hell no, it's not enough. Yeah. So that'd be number one: is don't drive with state minimums. For two reasons. Number one, the difference between state minimums and having three times that amount, okay, one hundred thousand, mm -hmm. might be a difference of like five bucks a month. Yeah. Okay. So to have three times the amount of coverage, it's five dollars more. And there's two things about that, right? So number one, it's only five bucks more. Second thing, you're not being an asshole. Because you might think to yourself, I'm a great driver. I never get into accidents. The notion of an accident is that it happens suddenly, abruptly, and without any notice. Right. right? It's, a, it's an accident. Right. So don't be the asshole that thinks that you're the good driver, that you're never going to hurt anybody else. Right. So just get enough coverage that if you actually have an accident and you fuck someone up, yeah. that you're not going to have to worry about their medical bills being covered. Yeah. That you're going to be able to know on your own conscience that I was, I, I, $5 have three times as much coverage on average. I know that you can't say that for sure because every company has different sure. and everything like that. Sure. But, yeah. So that's number one is don't drive a state minimums. I don't care what state you're in. You should at least have 100,000 for your liability. At least, at, at least. least, at least. And, and you say state minimums no matter the state because, um, we we've talked about this before and I know that there's information out there. So correct me if I'm wrong, but like the state minimums were established, what in like the seventies? Yeah. So back in the seventies, um, there was a bunch of automobile accidents going on all over the country. 
Yeah. People are getting fucked up. Medical bills are piling up, and they're like, "Yo, what's going on?" Like, "Oh, this asshole didn't have insurance over here." So, all these states got together and they said, "We're going to make minimum limits for our states." Yeah. And so that was, it was a big epidemic. So that's what happened. But since then, most states haven't touched it. Yeah. So yeah, they set these coverages uh, back in the mid seventies. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about 40, 50 years of time that have passed. And inflation and everything, costs of everything costs more now, right? Right. Um, Fucking so, yeah. medical bills. <laughs> so that's number one, is, is don't drive a state minimum, whatever state you're in. Yeah. You should probably have at least 100000 300000 when it comes to that initial liability. Yeah. Second thing, <laughs> when, you, um, when you look at how much money you're paying, understand that an insurance agent, an insurance company, is not uh, able to change those prices willy-nilly. Yeah. There are literally standards each company, without getting too nuts and bolts, Yeah, they come up with a bunch of data and they say, in order for our company to meet the guidelines that we have enough money in reserve to pay out claims if a claim is triggered... We need to make sure that we accurately place people in the correct premium pool. Yeah. So how much money the company collects off of you is directly related to the factors of how risky or how likely you are to cause an accident. Right. Okay. So if you are 25 years old, you got a speeding ticket, um, and you you know uh, don't have the greatest credit. Chances are you're going to pay a little bit more for your insurance because you are a greater risk. They've crunched all these numbers and they say people that meet your category are much more likely to cause the insurance company have to pay out. Yeah. And the reason that I say that to understand that if companies could willy nilly, oh, you're my buddy. I'm going to knock down that price for you. Right. Then you would have people that are causing more claims to happen. Okay, that the company wasn't accurately collecting money for. Right. So that means that everybody's insurance has to go up. Yeah. That that or the company just goes tits up. Or the company fails and they yeah. disappear and they no yeah. longer exist anymore. Yeah. So that's number two. Don't get get rid of the notion that your agent can just suddenly change how much your premium is. They, yeah. They can't. It's a it's a set category unless you can change your motor vehicle report, your claims report, like. You can, and your age. And, and, your age <laughs> um, uh, and your credit, you can snap your finger. There's all these factors you can't change. So that's right. that's number two. Is just don't don't think that agents have the ability to just willy-nilly fuck with your price. Yeah. Uh, I would say the third thing is to truly try and understand that when you pick your coverage, like you pick, let's say, you have a vehicle that has value to it. Mm-hmm. And you get something that's called full coverage. Um, it's a term that we use in the industry. It's easiest to explain, but it's not a real term. Nothing's fully covered. It's different parts of coverage. But if you have a vehicle that's, I would say, older than 10 years, you need to seriously consider that you probably aren't going to get a lot of value for paying for that full coverage. Yeah. So the third thing is just to understand how your premium, how your coverage, like what you pick is going to affect your premium. Yeah. Take control of that. Yeah. If you're mad that your rates are high and you have an older car, get rid of your collision and comprehensive or 
increase your deductible. Yeah. Because if your deductible is low, that means that when you pull money out of your pocket and you have a scratch on your car, the less money you got to pull out of your pocket, the more likely it is that you will tell the company, I want you to pull money out of your pocket. So because of that, the lower your deductible, the higher your premium. Mm-hmm. You raise your deductible, your premium lowers. So that's an example of a way that you can affect how your premium is. So that's just the third point is yeah. take control and understand that um, certain things that you want to have, you can take more risk out of your own pocket by having a higher deductible to lower your premium. So just understand that, you know, don't, you know, take all of that uh, frustration about what your rates are and think that the company or the agent can change anything. So again, yeah. to recap those three things, don't drive estate minimums, have at least 100000 And in most cases, some people need to have more than that, but we won't talk about that right now. Because uh, it's, it's a whole other aspect. It's a whole thing, yeah, yeah. Um, number two is uh, know that your agent can't just change your premiums up and down. You are your own risk. If, if you're mad about it, change the way that you live your life that you're in a category you're less likely to cause claim. Number three, take control of what your coverages are and understand that you can affect your premium yeah. by increasing your financial risk or decreasing your financial risk. Yeah. Those are the three big things I tell people about auto insurance. Man. Yeah. Um, I did want to touch on number two there, which is, you know, how, how there's a rhyme and reason to rates. Now it's different from company to company and I'm not going to la- name any specifics, but yeah. like, um, odds are if you see, um, you know, any company that says we're going to save you money. Okay. Whenever that is the, the, uh, the, the main line, um, and maybe just try to pay attention to it, kind of Google it and, and. Hit me up too. Send me an email. Um, IM me. Be like, hey, is this kind of like what you're talking about? But if ever you see a company that advertises like saving saving a bunch of money or finding a discount really quick, odds are that company is just simply better at taking um, higher risk individuals. Yeah. And what I mean by that is they probably don't have a whole lot of risk pools where they can segment people. But because they've got such a large pool, they've got you know so many people that um, are insured with them, they're able to take on riskier people, people with, you know, accidents and, and, and moving violations, speeding tickets and and DUIs and whatnot. And they are able to bring down the price compared to some other companies that don't advertise like that, ours included, um, because they're able to take that risk and offset it enough to be like, yeah, we're, we're going to go ahead and, and, and take on this stuff. They're not necessarily like better than any other insurance company. That is kind of left up to, you know, consumer reports like JD Power. They, they put that stuff out. So it, if ever you're like saving money, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting a better bang for your buck per se. What it simply means is that, yeah, this, this company is just willing to take on that risk. Now, that said, just because you may have saved a bunch of money with a, with a company like that at one point doesn't mean you're necessarily going to save money with that company three years down the road when accidents have dropped off, when um, speeding tickets or other moving other moving violations have dropped off, or maybe, shit, you're over the age of 25 or over the age of 21. Yeah. At that point, okay, you're probably going to be paying, risky. yeah, you're, you're less risky and you're going to be paying more money with that company you're saving money with before than if you went to a company that said, look, we don't like to advertise on saving money on this uh, on you know for for everyone because that may not be the case. What we have more of an emphasis on is making sure that people are protected properly. And there's usually whenever that's the message, 
there's also that company is also making sure that they're segmenting properly to make sure that the good risk is paying less because that's the risk they want to take. Right. That's a more reliable risk. That's a more reliable money for the company. So they're going to kind of incentivize that low risk pool. And the people who are higher risk, they still want that those people to be with the company, but they do need to offset things a little bit to make sure they keep a better balance. And so odds are when things have changed and things have dropped off, you may have saved money over here before because, you know, shit, everywhere else you're looking for is going to be twice as much. After a couple of years, it's good to go back to that company and say, hey, has anything changed? And then maybe look around, especially if that company that you're saving money with, and this happens a whole lot, doesn't really have an agent assigned to you. Because that's that's the other thing that kind of you know ha- coincides with one another. When you're saving a shit ton of money, um, odds are you don't really have an agent. And we see this a whole lot. Like, I don't I don't know. I just call a you know, 1-800 number. And, you know, that. so if it works, then that's fine. But over time... Things change, things drop off. That's a good time when you should not only reevaluate where things are, because as you get older, your record gets a little bit better, lower risk. There might be some other things that need to be addressed, not only just your auto insurance, but just, you know, maybe some other things that are going on in your life that uh, a, a different agent might be able to address a little bit better. One who's not focused on just like just saving your money on. Right. Saving yeah, I think, I think to, to maybe make it sound a little bit more concise as I see it. Different companies have business models that are established for who they want their business model to grow on. Yeah. Some companies want high risk. Mm-hmm. So people that have tickets, accidents, they want high risk because their model shows that if they get just a flux, an influx of a bunch of people, yeah. they can collect so much premium that even when they're having to pay out They've collected so much that people go through patterns. So you might come in with three, four speeding tickets mm-hmm. and D-dub. But seven years later, your tickets have all dropped off your record and your D-dub is off your record from an insurance standpoint. Yeah. So now you're actually a good risk. Yeah. But you're staying with the same company because it's a pain in the ass to move the company. Yeah. yeah. That's how some models are built. Yeah. The other model is built, well, if you got three tickets and a DUI, you can come with us, but you're going to pay a lot of money. Yeah. So it's kind of pushing those people at risk and saying, we don't really want that risk. But if you don't have it, you're you know removed from having the speeding tickets of DWI. Now the offer that we can give, the rate that we can give is way better than the other company because the business model is we don't want to have just a ton of high risk. Yeah. We want to have low risk. And I think, you know, maybe to kind of spin off, We've used, we've used the term risk a bunch of different times. And I think it's important to understand what we mean by that. Yeah. Right? So an insurance company's main goal is to do one very basic thing. That is to take a pool of people, a bunch of people, and to say, if something happens to any one of these individuals, we want to make sure that we have enough money sitting in an account that can pay out for that person. Yeah. So if I'm putting together a bunch of people, I need to make sure there's always enough money that let's say something crazy happens and 50% of everybody has a claim we have to pay out. Does the company have enough money sitting in this this account that can pay out? So we have to assign uh, as a company people that are likely to have to have money paid out and people that are not likely. Likely means high risk, not likely means low risk. Yeah. And so that's the important thing to kind of keep in mind is that 
if you're high risk, it doesn't mean you're bad. It just means that you have at that time, at that exact snapshot when I'm looking at that person. And compared to actuarial data. And compared to actuarial data that just crunches numbers and numbers and numbers and numbers and numbers to come up with a probability right. that this snapshot, this person is likely to have to cause money to be paid out. This person is not likely to have right. money paid out. Right. So I just think that's just as a side because we keep I was gonna, the turn, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stuff. I think it's funny that the premise of that of of you saying all that was to make it more concise. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. No, that that's that's a very good point. Thanks for clarifying that too. Um, yeah, I guess that that kind of that's. I think that's a good take on the on the auto insurance stuff. I I would agree with you on those three points. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the other part of property casualty, just home insurance or renter's insurance, is there anything there that like you would want everyone to maybe understand a little bit more? Kind of like the same yeah. thing we're talking about with auto insurance. Yeah. yeah. So I would I kind of break it down to three things as well. Number one, if you live somewhere, you should have renter's insurance. At the very least. At the very least. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, if you own a place. You should have homeowner's <laughs> yeah, insurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to make sure that if your home burns down, that you know you don't have to take 100 percent of that burden on your shoulders and just rebuild the home from scratch and have to pay all the money for it, right? Right. Um, and then the mortgage and on top of that, you still need to maintain. Yeah, yeah. But if you live somewhere, even if you live with uh, a brother, like when me and you live together, mm -hmm. okay, the stuff that you own, you want to make sure that if something happens, you can be reimbursed for your loss. So number right. one, that's why I say everybody should have a renter's insurance policy if you are an adult. Yes. If you are under the age of 18, then your parents, you are covered under them. But once you are over the age of 18, you should have a renter's insurance policy if you care about any of your stuff getting destroyed. Yeah. There's a second point that a lot of people don't realize. Even if you don't care, you're like, ah, if I literally took all my worldly possessions, piled them in the middle of the room, and lit them on fire, I might have to spend three thousand dollars to go, re you know, to buy everything back that I just lost. So you say I don't have really a lot of shit anyway. Yeah. But there is a, a coverage that's on every single renter's insurance and every single homeowner's policy that actually will allow you to stay somewhere else in case like a fire happens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You get to get reimbursed for the money you would have had to have spent to stay in a hotel mm -hmm. because you can't stay in your place anymore. If mm -hmm. you're living with, even again, you're living with parents and you're over the age of 18 and their place goes up in flames, unless parents are putting you up in a hotel, which I don't know how many parents would want to put their kid up in a separate hotel room or you want to crash on the floor of your parents' hotel room. That sounds like you'd be fucking terrible. Yeah. Um, Get that renter's insurance because it will have that coverage. Right. Uh, it's called loss of use. That's what all companies call it. And it just means that if you can't reside in your primary dwelling because there's a fire or, you know, tornado, any out the covered losses, whatever your policy says, those losses that will be covered. Right. And it's in, uninhabitable for a time, then you actually get to be uh, reimbursed up to certain amounts. How much it would cost you to stay somewhere else? Yeah. So that's number two. But number three, there is a liability portion that is attached to every renter's policy and every tenant, uh, every homeowner's policy. Yeah. 
the way that the liability works, unlike with auto insurance, the liability works for your car, right? You crash your car into someone else and you cause damage. So you are liable for the damages that you're causing the damage to the property. Mm -hmm. Well, with a renter's insurance policy, let's say that, and I use this all the time, I know it's unlikely, but people I think can imagine a scenario like this. Let's say that you're playing softball with your beer league and you just crank one right out to right field and it smashes someone's eye socket. Right. And their shit is fucked up. It's broken. Your renter's insurance, as long as you didn't do it malicious, like you weren't calling your shot, like, I'm going to bust your fucking ass. <laughs> as long as you weren't calling your shot, um, that liability, if they yeah. turn it on and they say, you are liable, you hit this ball and it crashed my, you know, crushed my fucking skull. Yeah. Your renter's actually, liability will pay for that. Mm -hmm. It pays for all the things that you do, as long as, again, there's not malicious intent, that you may actually cause damage to someone outside of a motor vehicle because like motor vehicles are like their own little special thing like if you cause a motor vehicle accident your homeowner's liability is not going to pay for it yeah it has to come from home you know it has to come from a, 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 a auto insurance policy so that'd be the third thing is just understand that it still gives you an amount of coverage and, and most places start off like a minimum of a hundred thousand so you know that if you do end up hurting someone yeah or you have a dog that bites someone or a vicious cat that attacks them, <laughs> um, that your liability from your renter's insurance and homeowners yeah. extends to do that. Yeah. So that, that, it's just those three things. I just, I know so many people, I actually have a friend of mine and she had a fire and she lost everything. And I feel like shit because I, I know I said this earlier, I alluded to it at least that, I can talk a lot so I can do sales, but I actually don't like being pushy Yeah, and I'm, and I'm super honest. Yeah. So I don't want to feel like I'm bugging the shit out of someone. Yeah, yeah. And so even though I've interacted with this friend quite a bit since I became an agent, I just never was like, yo, like, let me look at your insurance and make mm -hmm. sure you're all squared away in Gucci. Mm -hmm. I didn't do that with her. All of a sudden I see, boom, she's got a fire and holy shit, like lost everything. Luckily she was able to get out. Um, she had a dog that was able to get out, which is super fucking cool because that dog is really awesome. But she didn't have renter's insurance. Yeah. She ended up having to move across the country and I don't think she wanted to. And her situation was really fucked up. Yeah. You know? Um, so that's the thing is like, she's like how most people, I don't need it. What's the chance it's going to happen? Fucking fire devastates everything. Changed the whole life around. And, you know, I'm glad that it seems from what everything that I've seen in my conversations with her, she's happy with where her life is. Yeah. But I don't think at that time, she did not want to make that transition like that. Yeah. She would have wanted to have that own desire to make that choice on her own instead of being forced to have to do something. Yeah. And so that's the thing is like, you don't think it will ever happen to you. And it it's probably statistically not going to. No. But it's obviously a possibility and the amount of money you're paying for like a renter's insurance policy for most companies is going to be it's peanuts very small i mean I'm, let's be honest we're talking probably between 10 and 20 bucks a month to have like twenty thousand dollars of coverage with a million different carriers yeah and the point is you can go find go shop companies or whatever but you're not going to pay a lot of money to at least have very basic coverage 
that's going to get you squared away. So if something does happen, that you can continue to live your life the way that you want to and not be forced to have to make other decisions over like 20 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month or some shit like that. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing that you bring up, not being forced into situations. Right. So it sucks when something shitty happens, but at least when you have enough coverage in place, you have some fucking options and some control. Yep. Um, yeah. I had, a, I had a case of a guy who's, whole apartment building um it was a, a the main level was a business and i think that like second story there was like four or three apartments and uh he and his girlfriend went on a cruise and they came back and everything was gone Holy so shit. they came back in this cruise and everything was just burnt to the ground um and so he had to go through that process and you know luckily he had he had pretty good coverage uh, he, had, he had replacement costs not actual cash value which if you're looking at policies Definitely look over the terms of the types of coverages you have. I think I would throw that in there too. Um, it's not just simply dollar amounts. It's also what 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 type of um, what types of those coverages you want to have in place. So just without getting into it, but um, yeah. So that's that, that's the biggest thing is that you have that control because a lot of people, okay, a lot of people will take the mindset, and I think there's some virtue in this, and I try to adopt it as much as possible. But a lot of people will say. Hey, you know what? You can't control everything. So just sometimes you just got to deal with the shit. You know, you, you, you can't predict the future and bad things just happen. So sometimes you just got to roll with the punches. Don't want to be concerned too much about whatever. And I agree with that to a certain extent. But whenever you can mitigate the wake of any shitty, unexpected thing from happening, fucking mitigate it. Especially if it's not going to be a huge sacrifice to you. So let me, let me break down even further. You don't have to worry about your insurance. The moment that your policy is written, your policy is important. You don't have to think about your auto insurance. You don't have to think yeah. about your renter's insurance. Yeah. Right? Your homeowner's insurance. You don't have to think about it. It's done and over with. And then every year, you know, your agent, if they're a good agent, year to three years, should get a hold of you and uh, agree to that they want to sit down with you. Make sure that the the shit that's changed in your life, because everybody's life is always changing, right. that you don't require a different need. You don't have more exposure to something. Maybe you didn't have a kid, and now you have a kid. Maybe you, you know, got a new job, and you make a lot more money, or you, you someone passed away in your family, and you inherited a lot of money, so now you have a bunch of, of assets, and you want to make sure that if you do crash into someone, that they are not going to come after that money. But the point is, is that the biggest canard that I've heard from people. Is like, canard, I like that. <laughs> is that, well, you know, I, I want to let life be let how it happens. You know, let if life happens this way, you know, that's just how it fucking goes. It doesn't take more than, I'd probably say, an hour a year. Yeah. A year. It's 24 hours a day, 365 days in a year. We're talking about one hour to make sure that you have your shit set up and then you don't have to worry about it. It's just money coming out and, and yeah. you know, small amounts of money, most time, most cases. At least when we're talking about like renter's insurance. Right. But, and we, that extends into, you know, the next, next thing I want to bring up, but life insurance too. But yeah, yeah. and there are a lot of cases where the money that you have to put in to make sure that shit's okay in case shit hits the fan yeah. is relatively incredibly small right. compared to, you know, not like 
the the amount of that that wake yeah. that that a catastrophe can leave. And the reason that I even talk about specifically renters because that's the excuse that I get from a lot of people. Yeah, right? yeah. They're like, well, I don't really need it. You know, I don't, I don't really need it. And it's like we're talking the amount of money we're talking about and the amount of brain power it's going to take to keep this in your mind is so little. Yeah. That it, you know, it's worth it. You don't really have to explain that to a homeowner because they know how much shit they've put into yeah. their home. Yeah, yeah, And what it would be like to lose a home. I, right. I haven't had to have the argument. Uh, some people have. I've had to be like, so you own your home, but you don't have homeowner's insurance. That's. Or they're like that's heavily. Very, that's very risky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or they're. Have you thought about what you're going to do if a fire happens? <laughs> oh, you know, just uh, be. Just become homeless, I guess. I'll, I'll just figure it out. Yeah. No, um, yeah, I, I and and I've I've encountered that before too. Um, but yeah, it's just it's the and I don't I don't want to be like dismissive or whatever. But I just kind of think of like the the happy go lucky kind of hippieish kind of person. It's just like you can't control everything. Like yeah, yeah there's some truth to that. But right, shit, right. you yeah. you uh, not you can't con- you cannot control everything. But shit, especially if it's not a huge cost to you. I mean, look, I'm not, this, this, just handle your shit. You know what I mean? It's not, it's, it's one of the, it's, it's an aspect of the world that we live in. You have the ability to mitigate that. And so why not do that? I don't, I don't get it. But, um, so yeah, the other, kind of like the last thing I want to touch on is, um, the parts the part that we're most passionate about the life insurance part. And while the auto and home insurance, whether it's homeowners or renters, um, while that stuff either you need to have because you've got a mortgage and the uh, the bank that's financing it requires that you have insurance on the house um, or you have a vehicle and the state requires you have liability renters not required to have unless your landlord requires you to have it those are those are things that like you need to have right that that some other entity um, is is forcing you to purchase life insurance, no one's forcing you to have that, right? Life insurance is, is purchasing that, having that coverage is something that every individual um, decides to have. And even if they've got a family member, um, you know, a dependent or a spouse who is like, you need to have this life insurance in place. At the end of the day, they're not really being forced to have that. They're making that decision maybe to think, you know, make things good and whatnot for with their family member. But life insurance is like, in some in some instances, I was I would go so far as to say that it's contentious. Um, that there there have been so many things that I've heard about life insurance why why someone decides they don't want it that like when I take a step back, it's a little bit bizarre. I've heard if I get life insurance, then maybe that's gonna get some like bad energy on me, and then I might die. Or if bad I get life juju. bad juju, you know, like oh, well, I'm gonna get this now, like a week later. I've I've heard that a handful of times, <laughs> and I don't know when someone says that. Like I don't entirely know how to respond because I've already told them about you know I, maybe I've shared my piece about dad or just my overall perspective on it. But when someone says that, I'm just like, you're not serious, are you? But like I see this look on their face, it's like. I don't really want it and like whatever. I've also heard like, oh, if I have too much, if I have too much life insurance, you know, someone might try to kill me or like, I don't want to tell my beneficiary or whatever. Um, So maybe you have, you know, your own perspectives, your own experiences on talking about life insurance with people. But like when you, when you bring up that subject, how do you usually bring it up? And like, what are some of the things that you hear that like, 
I don't, if 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 you could just um, say one thing to everyone that that would maybe just like open their eyes to it, what would that be? Or do you not even take that position? Do you just say, well, that's, some people want it, some people don't, whatever. Um. So I I approach life insurance as something that I fundamentally, in my heart of hearts, believe every single person mm-hmm. should have a life insurance. Because there is one 100% certain thing that will happen to you. You will fucking die. You will die. Yeah. 100% guaranteed. When we talk about auto insurance, okay, there's a 17% chance that in your lifetime you will suffer a total loss. It means a car accident, the cost to fix it is higher than the value of your vehicle. 17% likelihood that that will happen. Right. There's only a 3% chance that your home will burn to the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay, but people understand you need homeowners insurance and you need auto insurance. Yeah, there is a hundred percent chance that you will die. Yeah, right. So that's why I honestly believe every single person needs life insurance. Mm-hmm. They need something mm-hmm. because what happens when you die, asshole? If you don't have it, <laughs> oh, motherfuckers yeah. get GoFundMe accounts. You're right. on your own. Right. Someone <laughs> is going to have to come out of pocket. To bury you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's at its base level. Somebody will have to do that. Now, maybe you don't love anybody. Maybe you hate everybody that's in your life and you don't really give a shit. Maybe you don't care that someone else can be burdened with disposing of your remains or trying to mourn your loss. Yeah. And, and I get that. There's, there's people like that that exist. But if you're not someone like that, don't just think that it won't happen to you. Yeah. Or that someone else will take care of it. You need to consider it. So that, that's that's the biggest thing for me. Um, I think the thing that people don't realize, and I try and have this conversation, and I think because of what we talked about, the baggage that people come to the table with and the perception that people have of insurance agents, they doubt my sincerity. Yeah. But I'm essentially a fucking walking billboard from my life experiences and the people that are close to me. Yeah. Of why you should get life insurance as early and as young as possible. Yeah. There's one other fact. There's a 100% chance that you will die. So someone will need to bury you in some way, shape, or form. But there's also a 100% chance that you will become uninsurable at some point. At some point. At some point. With every company that's out there. Every company out there. There's not a company out there that will write a 100-year-old man, right? It's just they're so likely to die that if the risk is so high from what they would have to pay versus what the company would actually lose um, with 100% of the people. So the reason I say I'm a walking billboard is because legitimately I am in that pool of uninsurable. Yeah. Okay. I'm 34, about to be 35. When I was 26, I got diagnosed with high blood pressure. And when I was 28, I was having a hard time breathing and I thought I was just, you know, turned into a fat piece of shit that was just really winded. Turns out that I had fluids that were piling up and filling up, I should say, in my lungs Mm -hmm. because my left ventricle doesn't close all the way because my blood pressure was high and I was like the typical dude. It was like, um, I don't feel any different. 
And so I didn't take my blood pressure meds. And I said 26 and I got high blood pressure, but it was actually 22 when I got diagnosed with high blood pressure. So from 22 until 28, I didn't take it serious. I actually, uh, and to this day, I sometimes still go to BioLife and I sell plasma or whatever. Yeah. But the reason that I even got on meds in the first place is because my blood pressure was too high. And so I couldn't donate. <laughs> and I wanted, like, I, I think there was something I wanted to do back when I was like 22, 23 me and Beth wanted to go, like, do something. I went on vacation or something. And so I, I started to, to go to BioLife to sublize and stuff. But um, that's why I found out I had it. But my point is, is that I didn't take it on a regular basis. And because of my um, lack of not taking it, my heart had to pump harder because my blood pressure was so high that it caused a defect in my left ventricle. Then that defect pumps fluid into my lungs. So I couldn't breathe because my lungs were full of fluid. And because my lungs were full of fluid, um, you know, I was about to suffocate and drown and shit. So um, <laughs> I ended up having to go to the hospital. Yeah. And after they did all this stuff and they had me, you know, like my blood pressure was out of control. Like legitimately when I got my blood pressure taken, because I, I had a sore throat. So I went to a walk-in clinic yeah. and I just wanted to get some antibiotics. And when they did my blood pressure, it was 250 over 150. Jesus. And um, I was having a hard time breathing at that point, but that's what triggered me to actually go in. And they were like, oh, my God, you're going to have a stroke. We need to get an ambulance right here. And I was like, dude, I'm cool. I mean, I roll like this probably all the time with my blood pressure this high. So I went ahead and, and drove myself to the hospital. And that's <laughs> just the that, best part. <laughs> from that whole experience, though, that event with my high blood pressure, yeah. With my left ventricle failure, that makes me uninsurable. Yeah. When you look at the data, it shows that there is a high likelihood that I will die before I reach average um, age of death of a male in the United States, which means that if a life insurance company gave me a contract, chances are that I would not be able to pay in enough premium that the company would always lose money. Right. right. That's what the data shows. It doesn't right. mean I'm going to die by the time I'm 50. It just means that there's a, a much higher chance that I won't make it to the average age of a male in the United States. And so because of that, most companies will not insure someone like me that has that type of medical. Right. And even if I took that away, purely based off of my height and weight, most companies would not insure me. Because again, just based off of my height and my weight, I'm not... You know, I'm, I might look tall on camera, but um, I'm actually 5'9", and I weigh 300 pounds. Yeah. So I'm too heavy for a majority of insurance companies. So I'm, like I said, a walking billboard. Now, let's talk about the things that I have to protect. I have a wife. I've been married almost 15 years. Do you think that our life is fundamentally based around our ability to produce money? Yes. When we look at all the things that we pay for, for our standard of life, it's based off of both of our incomes. Right. If I drop dead tomorrow, my wife will be fucked financially. Yeah. If I don't have life insurance. Yeah. Right. And uh, that scenario plays through for people that have children, for people that have um, other obligations of people that are taking care of financially. If they were to drop dead, they would be fucked. The people that are left behind they're going to be fucked because that income stops their whole way of life has to change so if you know that you're a hundred percent chance you're going to die and you know that there's a hundred percent chance at some point you will become uninsurable you just don't know when that will be 
then shouldn't you get life insurance as early as possible? And if you're 55 and today is the first time that you've re- ever decided that life insurance is a good thing, don't wait till you're 56. See if you can get it now. And you might find out you're fucked that you can't get it. Right. Um, now, there are some companies out there that will take on someone like myself. Like the amount of death benefit, how much they give me coverage for is very, very small. Right. And the amount of money I have to pay is very, very high. Um, and I've done such a thing, but it's insane because as a person that actually sells this, to see what I pay for the small amount of insurance, because I got as much as I possibly could. Yeah. For the small amount of insurance that I have, for the amount that I pay, I'm paying four or five times more for the amount that I'm getting compared to everybody else. So that's just that's just the aspect. So I would just throw that out there, man. If if you don't have life insurance and you care about people, you need to get life insurance because you will be uninsurable someday. Because I, I know that a lot of people, when I sit down and I talk to them, and even just shooting the shit with people, like I'll be in a bar and, what do you do? Oh, I do this. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And I, I try to talk to everybody about it, to be honest. I try to educate people. Some people, oh, uh, you know, I'll probably get life insurance next five or so years. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, I don't really need it right now. Yeah. Well, unless you have this magic crystal ball that can see the future, how do you know that in five years you're not going to be diagnosed with something that makes you uninsurable? Yeah. How do you know that you won't die in the next five <laughs> years as well? And that's just being real with people. Yeah. Oh, I'll just wait till later. Again, I just want people to understand that it's a very selfish asshole thing to do yeah. to not have life insurance, even if that's not your intent. Right. I don't think most people want to be selfish assholes, but if you don't have life insurance and you die, you were a selfish asshole. Yeah. Because you couldn't part or couldn't take the time to part with some of your money to make sure that people aren't burdened because that's, that's the, that's the big key right there. A lot of people think that life insurance is expensive. Now there's a million different ways that you can build a contract. So yes, there are policies that from what you would actually put into it is a much higher amount of premium. Yeah. But there's all these other benefits of people wanting to do policies like that. But you definitely can get a very large amount of life insurance as long as you are not uninsurable mm-hmm. for a very little amount of money. Yeah. Now you bring up a couple of good points and I want to touch back on some of those in a, in a second here, but yeah, the whole, like you can get it for relatively cheap because I hear, so I've heard it on the fucking radio a bunch of times. Mom has brought it up to you and to me a bunch of times. And, and just, just for full disclosure here, my mom, our our mom keeps bringing this up um, because she, um, does have, and I don't know the exact diagnosis. Maybe you can clarify. Vascular dementia. Vascular dementia. So her memory not too good. Anyway, so she's in a nursing home and she, you know, watches. She's seventy. She's seventy one, and um, she, you know, there's there's all these channels on on TV that are on that are you know geared towards elderly people. So obviously they're rife with all these fucking ads on getting life insurance policies for all these older people well colonial pen or whatever yeah yeah jesus it's it's ever it's on all and if you ever watch a game show the like game show network later on not even later on at night it's just on all these shows where it's funny because if you're in marketing you can understand why they do it they 
these these channels have all these this info out there with who watches their shit, and then advertisers have access to that. But the point is, she's seen this shit all the time. So is everyone else in that nursing home. And so I know that they're all talking to each other about life insurance. They don't understand how they can't get it. But there are certain, obviously, you talked about being insurable. Not a whole lot of insurance companies out there are going to go ahead and say, yeah, let's go ahead and get your life insurance policy when you can't meet, you know, these three ADLs, activities of daily living. Yeah, we suspect that we'll be able to pay into this policy long enough to maintain profitability and, and all the stuff you were talking about before, right? Yeah. Um, so they're not going to be eligible, but the point is these ads run all the time and they don't really dive into like what it means for life insurance to be less expensive. And there are a lot of good policies out there. Don't get me wrong. It's just that a lot of, there's all this information about there about how much it should be, um, quote, should be, but no, none of these ads ever go into the intricacies of how each policy works. Now, I think that's that's probably due to some regulation stuff because they can't dive into every single aspect. And if you leave some part out and you know, you're advertising to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, there's going to be issues there too. But there's this idea that even someone who wants to have life insurance, if they're, if they're presented with something that's going to be more than like, you know, what they heard, which in a lot of cases I hear, I had, I have some heart medication and I was approved for a $500,000 policy for $30 a month. And so you, you come to them with something that might be a little bit more like, well, I'm going to go with this other company. Um, and I think what, what, what the reason why I bring all this stuff up is that you say it can be pretty low price and that there's truth to that. I know that for sure, but I kind of wanted to dive into that real quick. Like, uh, you know, I, are these companies, would you say that these companies are lying when you hear all these ads on the on the radio or on TV or whatever? Um, and then what's your take on that? And what's something that you would like to have every listener out there understand about the price as it pertains to life insurance? Yeah. But no, the, the companies aren't lying. But what they are doing is they are cherry picking what their average person can be approved for if all of these criteria are met. So if you're like, you take heart medication and your payment for half a million dollars, it can be a hundred dollars, a hundred dollars a month. Well, that makes like, if you look, there's a little disclaimer and it shows what that criteria was for the, the type of person they're talking about that was approved for that. So the thing to understand is that the amount of money that you pay for most policies is directly and a hundred percent effective by the likelihood that you are going to need to use it. And so if you're younger and all factors are equal, let's say I take someone that's 20, someone that's 40, both of them are in amazing healthy condition. The 20 year old is going to pay significantly less money than the 40 year old because they are 20 years older and 20 years in the, when you're looking at the metrics of the average age that people live, that's 20 less years that that company can collect premiums so they can remain profitable. So that's just the reality. The younger you are, the less your insurance is going to be if all things are equal. Um, and then there's different factors, you know, how healthy you are, how low is your, your blood panel numbers, right? Is your glucose in the proper range? Is your you know, lipids in the proper range? They look at all these factors. They look at your blood pressure. Where's that at? The healthier you are, the less money you're going to pay. So that's, these are simple truths when it comes to life insurance. Right. But 
when we talk about, and when I specifically said that if you can be approved, that you can pay a really low amount of money to take care of the most basic things. I mean that because even if I have someone that's 50 years old and they wanted to have a basic policy that would literally just pay to bury them, they can make, you will find something that's going to be less than $100 a month. I'm going to use my own mother-in-law as an example. My mother-in-law is in her mid-60s and she obviously after me working in this industry, I had a long conversation about what she wanted to have happen when she dies. And she explained to me what she wanted. And we were able to put a policy together for her when she was 61. We put together a policy for her. And it works for her budget. I'm able to find a way to do that. And that's every agent. An agent can find a way to make life insurance work for your budget. But the point is, is that if you think that these commercials when, you know, I just always remember that colonial pen because that's what our mom called them <laughs> fucking last time. I saw that colonial pen. It's like $9.99 a month. And it's true that there was a person that was over the age of 65 that got approved for $9.99, but it was a very unique case, I imagine, of a very, very healthy person. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I guess, the to answer your question, they're not lying. Um, and the reason that people can afford those lower premiums because they're super, super healthy. And that's a possibility. If, if you're, if you're crazy healthy, then yeah, you're going to have lower, lower uh, rates across the board, no matter what company you go to. If you're average health, it's going to be higher than if you're super healthy. If you're a smoker, for instance, that's going to increase your rates. If you know, you, you are a little bit overweight, that's going to increase how much you have to pay. But this brings me back to my main point. If, if you yourself are in a situation where you're like me, where I can't, I can't get the life insurance that I want. Mm-hmm. It's no longer a, a, a viable option medically. It's just, I can't because of my medical, one of my medical conditions. I can't do it. No company will give me. I'd buy more if I could, but no company wants to give me anything. So my thing is to try and pass that knowledge on to other people. You know, if you have a baby, you have a kid, consider giving them the gift of life insurance because that kid is going to be the healthiest they will probably ever be and the youngest they will ever be. Do that. If my, if our mom and dad would have gotten me a life insurance policy, um, even if it was something small, it probably would have already been paid off and it would have given me an option to buy more life insurance at, you know, depending on how they built it. But there's all these different things. So if you yourself can't get it, try and help your kids. If you got yeah. kids to make sure that they don't run the same problems. If, if, if you yourself can't get it, try and, you know, talk to other people about making sure that, you know, they get it as well. Because, again, like I said before, man, everybody's going to die and everybody will be insurable at some point in their life. So work with an agent. They can find something that will work for your budget. And I'm talking and the reason I'm talking about these basic things um, from a basic standpoint when I'm talking about making sure that you can bear yourself is that people can at least accept that to go into the aspect of if you have kids, if you have a spouse, we're talking about a whole different game. Yeah. Cause we're talking about replacing your income, yeah. not just for the next year, but for the next 30 years. If you die when you're 30 and you got a three year old kid, well, 
if you would have lived to be an old man, right, you would have lived another 60 years, how much income would you have made that would have went towards the development of your child? Put a number on that. Most people were talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Right. But now because your life has been cut short, <clears throat> that is zero dollars. So that's the type of thing when I'm talking about a family, but that sometimes is not really relatable because um, not everybody has kids. Not right. everybody's married. Right. I'm just talking about the most basic of basic that regardless of who you are, you should have a policy that will at least be able to bury your ass. Yeah. And I, I think <clears throat> something you mentioned before, and I, I, I kind of want to highlight that is that you said, you know, if you don't get life insurance, you're an asshole or the person who refuses to get life insurance is an asshole. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll dive into that in a sec, but like, um, even speaking to what you just said, right? So, you, so say you aren't married, um, you don't have any kids, and you're like, so there's no one out there, like, who, like, relies on me. It's like, well, shit, do you have any family members? Um, do you have any friends? Because I think something that a lot of people don't really consider, and this speaks more to your, your statement of, like, you're a selfish asshole. And I, to a certain extent, I have to agree with you. You're not married. You don't have any kids. Okay. Do you have friends or family? Because when you die, that's going to take a toll. And I cannot tell you how many times I see these GoFundMe pages. I'm just like, fuck, that's sad. That's yep. sad as fuck shit. And that's not, that's not a judgment thing at all because no. it's, it's what we had to do. And so I know from experience that's sad. Earlier in this episode, you talked about, you know, that process of like, okay, we had to think about, are we going to bury him? Are we going to cremate him? You don't have a lot of time to do that because a body decomposes pretty fucking quickly. Yeah. And if you don't give the burial service provider or the funeral home or whatever, if you don't give them enough time to determine uh, what the next stage in the funeral, pro funeral process is going to be, you're going to go from having some options to no options. Yep. And there's a dollar amount attached to each yeah. one of those fucking options. Mm -hmm. So when it got to the point where it's like, uh, we don't know what the fuck we're going to do. It wasn't actually uh, until someone um, who uh, I, you know, wanted to remain anonymous. We kind of did some of our own you know, inductive reasoning, but donated a large sum of money to this GoFundMe. And without that large donation... Um, we, I don't even know what the option would have been. I don't even fucking know because we didn't have enough money. So the, here's what the option would have been. They could have billed us. Oh yeah. So now I'm having to fucking pay because dad like, didn't have a shit together. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Monthly that, installments. Monthly installments. <laughs> with God knows how long. And what if I can't fucking pay him? And then I get brought to court Yeah. because they would have said, you had a choice. Yeah. You could have done nothing. Yeah. You could have just let him, you know, be part of like the county. I, I, what do they call it? Uh, uh, I just imagine it's indigent. It's, it's, indigent? It's, no, was it? When, when you're super poor. Oh, um, shit! I can't. I think it's indigent. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know the term. Yeah. I don't know the term you're looking for. I just imagine you know, you just put them in a giant pit. No, <laughs> but they they do actually have like most counties. Will like uh, put you like in an unmarked type of grave type yeah, of thing yeah. if if you can't if there's no one to pay right. to get you cremated or to get you buried right. they can do that but and like let's face it look if that's something that you want to have I understand that the question you have to ask yourself is does your family want that you know nobody's nobody wants to be like yeah well so you know Casey died last week and so that's just that you know I don't need um. We, we just moved on from that. We didn't need to say our goodbyes or anything. 
Um, are you looking up the word? Yes. Yeah. What's the word? Indigent. Indigent. Was that poor or needy? Yes. Oh, a man. Needy, needy person, a poor person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you can be put, uh, uh, you can put the burden on somebody else. Yeah. Whether that's or something. Or something, another entity. But, yeah, that's. You have to come to terms with the fact that, look, people need to be able to say goodbye. That's just something that, uh, uh, is just a thing. Yep. Okay. So unless you roll in a circle wherein everyone's just like, no, yep. we die and then we uh, move the fuck on, yep. you need to accept the fact that if you have loved ones and they're in America, okay, so I can't speak for the cultures. I'm just, yep, gonna, yep. I'll extend that even, I'll, I'll stay specific to America, but I'm going to go ahead and generalize in any Western society, yes. any Western culture. Um, and I could even go a little bit further, and I, I'm going to touch on this in a second. Um, but yeah, you just need to accept that while you're okay with being forgotten and thrown into a ditch, your family members might not be. <laughs> and what you also need to understand is the effect that that can have on your family members. That shit is lasting. Having had dad die, and then, I mean, I'll... I'll I'll, I'll throw this out there again. Uh, a large per- portion of that burden of figuring out what to do next did fall on on your shoulders. Yep. Um, you know, you're the eldest, and mom wasn't in any position to try to figure that shit out. And there weren't any other family members. I mean, the fact is, dad uh, pretty much was estranged from all of his all of his family members for the most part. R- really, for the most part, it was just left to you, left to us, and we we sort of you know left you to take a large portion of the burden and set up the page and, and all that other stuff. I think a large portion of the, even the contributors um, came from like your friends on, on Facebook, a lot, a, a large portion of those donators. But the whole reason why I even bring any of this stuff up is that experience had a, a lasting effect on us. It, it affected our ability to accept the loss and move on from the loss. And had there been just something just that something in place to at the very least take care of the burial cause, that would have allowed us to spend that following week just being with each other and not having this thing kind of looming over our heads and trying to figure out what the next step was going to be. And I think that had a bit of a lasting impact. And now if on top of that dad also had a policy in place that you know left a sort of legacy that would have, that really would have helped out um, our sister and our mom as well who arguably could have used some amount of support after he'd pass away so all this stuff i'm saying because for that person who just like whatever throw me in a ditch you are being unrealistic about what the consequences of your action or inaction of your death. You're being unrealistic about the consequences of your death and how that can take a toll on the people who care about you. So unless you're a fucking hermit, okay, take stock, be real with yourself. And I mean, frankly, look, this is the, you don't, to anyone listening to this, this isn't some type of like sales thing that we're doing. We just honestly want to have a real candid conversation about insurance from two agents who've been in the industry for a while and who've had personal experiences with the shit that we're talking about um, from a personal side and a professional side. 
So this isn't some type of sales thing, okay? If you want to chat with me, that's fine. Hit me up, you know, go to my email or whatever. But I say I I I throw all that out there because look, if if you're trying to find a number of reasons for why you don't want to spend let's face it, a relatively small amount of money on making sure that you don't leave a fucking huge crater behind when you die. Like, if you don't want to spend a little bit of money, yeah, I do agree. You are being a selfish asshole. So don't be stingy, okay? Do the proper preparation. That's what I say. Take into account the effects that your death would have on the people around you and fucking own that. Yeah. That's if you're that's if you're an adult, right? For if, if you're if you're a minor and you listen to this, like obviously, you know, your fucking hands are tied, but just be a fucking adult. It's right up there with get a job, you know, contribute to society, you know, pay your fucking taxes. Uh don't be a dickhead to people like on the street. Like just just be an adult and don't be selfish. Now there there are the people out there who are going to be restricted through religious reasons. And for that, I'm not I'm not going to argue anything about that because a person's religion, especially when it's not my own and I'm not educated in it, I'm not going to step in and be like, well, you know, let's make this exception here or, or whatever. But I would encourage everybody if they are of the position or in the position to not be able to get life insurance because of the religion, I would encourage those individuals to go to the leaders of their religion and have a candid conversation with them. Um, about whatever the restrictions are, and then also talk to an agent or or someone educated or experienced with life insurance and with death to just have a better understanding. Because like if you're listening to this and you're like, well, no, that's harm if I if I um, get life insurance, which may have been one of Dad's reasons. Honestly, I don't know because we never fucking talked about it. Our dad was a Muslim, and and in Islam, you know, you are. You, you basically are, my understanding is you are restricted from getting life insurance. Or at least that's what a lot of people um, believe. Well, so in Islam, you're not supposed to profit from a loss. Right. Right? So no profiting from a loss. And that, to me, is a misunderstanding of actually what insurance is. Right. Uh, insurance is not profiting from a loss. Insurance is replacing what you would have done had you fucking lived. Right. And it's it's a concept that it's hard to argue if, if an imam has told, um, you know, the, the, the rest of the mosque, you know, don't buy life insurance. It, it's hard to argue that. But the imam, unfortunately, uh, doesn't fucking understand how life insurance works. Yeah. Because I've actually had some of my some of my clients that didn't want to get renter's insurance because they thought it would be profiting from a loss. And I said, well, if you had to go and buy everything that you lost, how is that a profit? If you had to replace everything. So if you have to replace something that you lost, that's not a profit. Right. That's breaking even. Right. And in in most cases, unless you said, well, if I lose everything, I'm literally going to live with no no possessions. If it burns, let it go to God and I will just run around naked with nothing. <laughs> that's not what I understand it to be. It's just yeah. it's a misunderstanding. But if that's what your religious leader tells you that you're profiting from a loss, I would tell you to tell your religious leader to call me or Aziz. And I'll set their asses straight because they're just wrong and fucking missing, missing for me. You know what? Actually, um, I had someone in my office last week and they they were questioning whether or not like renter's insurance was allowed in their faith. And so yeah. I had a conversation with them about it and like he seemed to understand. And then I, I think he brought up life insurance because he worked for a trucking company and part of their benefits package was like a life insurance policy. Yeah. 
And so he had opted out of getting the life insurance policy because like it's against my religion. But he had a friend uh, who also worked at the same trucking company who got the life insurance policy. And I think it's I, I can't remember what, what he had said the reasoning was. I think it was like, oh, you didn't read the benefits package or he didn't know really what to do. And so as part of the things, so we just got it through work. And so he brought this up to me and, you know, we, we, we had that discussion again. I was like, well, remember, you're not profiting from loss, blah, blah, blah. Well, he brings up to me that in his culture back in Africa, basically what would happen is that if a person died, okay, everyone else in the tribe and sometimes in surrounding tribes would contribute uh, livestock to basically sort of value this person's life. But they'd contribute livestock to sort of like replace, I, I guess, basically re- replace the amount of value that that person brought to their family. But so he was talking about like you, the community would come together and be like, okay, let's, let's, let's try to indemnify or bring back to normal this person's family after their death. And I was like, oh, okay. You understand, though, that's life insurance. Now, life insur- a life insurance company, you could consider that the community. Okay, yeah. The life insurance company is a community. Now, to be in this community, you don't need to live in a certain area or whatnot, per se. You don't need to be of a certain tribe. The way that you enter into this community is through premiums, yep. through life insurance payments. Yep. And in that process, you're, you're putting money in. And your community, the company has said, if any member of this community passes away, we're going to go ahead and we're going to make sure that their family or their loved ones, their beneficiaries are going to be taken care of. So the only thing that you're changing, even though you're saying that according to your religion, you cannot get life insurance. I'm telling you right now, you back home, they are in life insurance. It's just that their premiums are just living within the community where there's a premiums here. Obviously, it's a monetary one that everyone's paying on a monthly, semi-annual or quarterly or annual basis. So just dissolve that notion that like, you know, uh, this, this religious one. So I, I said, you know, reach out. Uh, I believe he he referred to his um, his chick. Um, but I was like, you know, re- reach out to him if he wants to chat with me. I'd be happy to have a conversation with them yeah. because this thing that you are refusing to participate in this thing that you're refusing to purchase and that other many countless other members of your community are refusing to purchase and participate in is hurting your community because here we don't have people who contribute cattle. Okay. We don't do that when a neighbor dies, an occasional casserole here or there, but that's, you know, that's not gonna, uh, that's not gonna indemnify them. That's not gonna get that family back to normal. Thanks for the food, but we got a fucking mortgage. You know, we got college to pay for. We got tuition that's gonna rack up or medical bills. Fuck. So maybe you should try to take a look at what it is that you're currently doing, what it is that you value, and how you can make sure that your values stay in place. That being making sure that you know your loved ones are taken care of to an extent that, that you're capable of, but that those values stay in place even after death. That's what life insurance allows people to do. Right. Make sure that they're providing for their loved ones or family members. If you know, and it's different for everyone, and that standard is different for everyone. But at the very least, make sure your shit's taken care of, and that you can be buried. But yeah, no, I will. So I, I wanna, I wanna just two points real quick. So number one, you were, you would, you know, um, 
you'd ask maybe that's what dad's issue was in selecting term. It wasn't because our father was not a strict Muslim. That's true. Um, yes, he did pray. Yes, he did uh, participate in Ramadan. Uh, but he would drink alcohol. Um, he um, did a lot of things that I know most uh, most Muslim men don't do. But he's very westernized, so it wasn't that at all. Um, most likely it was a breakdown of understanding. Uh, and dad's own grappling with what he believed to be true in regards to his mortality. Um, second point, though... In regards to just wondering, like, if you listen to the podcast, hopefully you don't wonder the sincerity uh, of where we're coming from, but what I would like to say is that this conversation is a conversation that I wish I could have with all of my friends without coming off as an asshole. Yeah. Because that's the way that it comes off. Um, my One of my best friends. Um, and I'm going to name drop him, Jared. <laughs> we had a conversation when I went to Florida to visit him. And I had it with him and his uh, wife at the time. And I was trying to tell him that life insurance is something I should get. Because not only did they have, you know, multiple kids from previous relationships or marriages, um, of which they only had a handful of financial responsibility for a handful of them, um, but that they're married now. And, you know, they should care about where their income gets replaced. And here's the way that the exchange happened is how it happens with a lot of people. People get very defensive and they think I'm trying to sell them insurance. Like, legitimately, I don't care if you buy the life insurance from me. If in, in, In this case, he lived in another state. But then now I'm arguing with him of whether or not he believes I'm sincere and it's a fruitless endeavor. Right. So the hope, though, is that because you see that I'm not, like, posting, here's my website, call me up, or whatever, that you understand that this is from a sincere point of view, that you just need to understand these insurance, and specifically with this conversation about life insurance, that you do it because you don't want to be a selfish asshole. Right. And those that don't, it's not that they want to be, but it just happens to be that that's what you turn out to be. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that's the difference, I guess, between ignorance um, and, and, and knowledge is that there are times in which plenty of things in our life that you're like, well, I'm not trying to be an asshole. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, but you are being an asshole because you're not even aware of things. And I'm trying to, to, to try and educate you on different aspects so you don't have to be an asshole. And if once you know and you still want to be an asshole, then fine. But you were still being an asshole. It's just you were being an ignorant asshole. Right. Um, and that's that's kind of what when I say when I say that, um, I don't mean that you're intentionally trying to be a selfish asshole. But that's what you end up being. Yeah. My dad wasn't trying to be a selfish asshole, I believe. Um, did he do selfish things and was he an asshole at times? Yes. But when it comes to the the, the well being of, of our family, I know he wouldn't have wanted to place this burden on us. No. But that's what he ended up doing. Yeah. Because of more than likely his ignorance and lack of understanding of how life insurance is or insurance in general. So I just wanted to clarify those two points um, that we had already discussed earlier in the episode. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate you doing that. Um I, I was going to go into, like, <laughs> I was going to ask you to give me a list of, like, the, 
the top, like top three or top five. Um, Bullshit excuses or weird excuses. Yeah, yeah. Um, as it pertains to life insurance, and then even beyond that, um, like probably the the top five most um, annoying things that. I, yeah, I'll just say annoying. There's probably a better word for it. Sure. Um, but the top five most annoying things that you experience as an agent, just like on a daily basis, where whether it pertains to your clients or just like the industry in general. Um, but yeah, if you want to start with the like, you know, top three craziest excuses you've heard with life insurance, I think I shared a couple of mine. But um, I guess there's a part of me that. Um, I, I try and put everything into its proper place, right? So uh, humans have this way of using a just-so rationalization. And they come up with the craziest shit to justify what their process is because they haven't agreed with what you've said. Right. Right. So I, I read this book, um, and it talks about that intuitions come first and uh, justified reasoning comes second. And so if someone fundamentally, you know, this baggage that they're carrying, they have a fucked up viewpoint of life insurance and you're trying to convince them that life insurance is a positive thing and that it's affordable and does a lot of great things, they're not convinced. So regardless of the way the conversation goes, they're going to come up with some crazy shit to tell you. Um, so the reason I, I want to preface it with that is that because of my understanding of that, I don't really take any like it doesn't make me feel any sort of way when someone gives me a stupid bullshit fucking uh, re reason why they don't want to do life insurance it, I don't take any it doesn't offend me at all because I know that that person hasn't bought it and I, and I haven't done I haven't been able to convince them that it's something that should be important to them uh, that should matter um, but I mean I've, I've I remember that uh, I like much, much to like how how you said that someone's like, well, if I if I get this life insurance, I guess bad juju, and now I'm like dooming myself to like die early or premature. Um, but I I did have someone that said like, well, um, I just literally don't trust anybody in this world that if I told them that I had a life insurance policy, that something wouldn't happen that I you know my my life would end early. I said. There's nobody, not a single person. You got a kid and you were talking earlier about your mom and you're saying that there's nobody that you trust. Like that's, that's bananas. But yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push on that because then, then you go to crazy places. Yeah. yeah. And then people get really. Then people are like scrambling to find a better excuse. Try to find a better excuse. But it's like, okay, <laughs> damn. Like, it's like that. Um, I try and have a conversation with people that have kids. Okay. Especially people that have kids. I'm like, you love a kid, right? Yep, I love my kid. And if something happened to you, would you want your kid to have the best possible life even though you're gone? Or would you be like, well, if I'm gone, fuck it. I don't care what happens to my kid. Most people. Most. <laughs> most people say, oh, man, I, I want my kid to have the best life possible. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So would your child and whomever becomes responsible legally for your child and raises them, would they be able to provide them the same life financially without your financial assistance, right? Like if, if the person that you think your child is going to go to is better off financially than you, that's a different story. But nine out of 10 times, it's the same, if not worse. 
the person that their child would go to mm -hmm. um, or completely different. So having that conversation with people, I'm like, okay, so you love a kid and you want them to have the same, if not better life if something were to happen to you, because there is a, a third component to that. Do you think that someone else could love your child more than you love them? Probably not, right? Jeez, it'd be really fucking weird if someone's like, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, well, I love them, but you know, not that much. <laughs> um, and so when I had that conversation, I remember I had a conversation with someone, one of my clients, and they, I was like, okay, so like, let's get a policy going for you. So your kid, no, I, I just, no, I, I just don't think that makes sense. I'm like, well, we just went through this line of thinking, this progression, it's how much you care about your kid and everything like that, but you don't want to get life insurance. Like, do you think you're immortal? Like, like I, I just, I don't get it. And, 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 and that, in this case, the person ended up saying, well, maybe I just don't really care that much. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's a reason, I guess. Yeah. But I don't think they were sincere in that. I think, no, I think, I think they just wanted to be done with the conversation. Yeah, yeah. They didn't want, for whatever reason, to just grasp that there was a need and they weren't able to put that, you know, they weren't able to, to make the conclusion that because that need existed, they needed to have this insurance because for whatever reason, whatever preconceived need, the notion they had coming in the conversation, they just didn't want life insurance. Yeah. And that's just what it was. But yeah, I was like, oh, oh well, never mind, man. No, let's, let's just move on to something different. You know, you know what's funny about that is that all I can think to myself, and maybe this is not the right way to think about it, but like in a situation like that, and I think this happens in a lot of cases, people are sometimes just plain old fucking stubborn. Right. So like they go into a meeting uh, with you or me and they've got this preconceived notion about, you know, this, this, uh, how insurance in general works and how insurance companies work and how agents work and all this shit. And they uh, have this fucking wall up. Right. Because maybe they just were taught like we were talking about earlier. Don't trust them. They're all a bunch of fucking crooks. And I've heard people say that multiple times. So that's, you know, maybe they're coming into it like that. But I say that what keeps a person from just having an honest, candid conversation is the ego. Yeah. And I think that's probably like if there's if there's one thing that I wish everyone and including myself, because I'm not fucking perfect, but I wish everyone was more cognizant of more aware of it's how much their ego plays into their everyday decisions and how detrimental it can be more often than not. Like if if, you know, you're in a situation like, oh, well, no. My blah, 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 always, always told me, never blah, blah, blah. If you can't just for a minute just say, well, maybe whoever was wrong and maybe you were wrong too and just be open to whatever, whatever it is that you're being told, not gullible, but just be open to the information and really try to understand what the person across the table from you or sitting next to you is, is telling you about. If you can just for a minute remove your your notions and just be open to the idea that what the person is telling you is coming from a point of sincerity and they're not trying to fuck with you and you don't need to be like Mr. or Mrs. like nobody ever gets one on me. You might have an experience that can be eye-opening, whether it's talking to someone about life insurance or fuck, talking to someone about like, I don't know, some, uh, uh, something that could benefit you 
in like, you know, health related shit. I don't fucking know. Something that could just open you up to a, a new perspective and a new experience that if your ego is stuck and if your stubbornness is stuck, you're never going to get exposed to. But that's that's something that I, I think may have contributed to that experience. That person just like, well, you know what? I'm sitting here and I don't want, you know, I, I, I refuse to be sold anything. And I know that like I'm just going to be sold something. And now this person's trying to change my mind and I'll be fucking damned if anyone ever tries to change my mind on a thing. So now I'm going to say I don't really fucking care that much about my kid because I want out of this thing so fucking bad. Whereas if that person just for a moment said, it's okay for my mind to change every now and again. I'm not right on everything. It is okay to have an honest conversation where I'm open to the idea that my worldview might change. Remove your fucking ego from it. Then maybe that person can be like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Let's talk about how I can actually make this work. Instead of saying, no, whatever. And the question is, is that person still walking around without that life insurance? You know, is there, are, are they still leaving that person exposed? So I would argue, you know, uh, maybe they, maybe they saw something else. Maybe they saw a colonial pen, you know, and, and something struck with them where they're like, yeah, let me make sure this shit's in place. Um, you know, it's maybe, maybe that is the case. And I hope that is the case for them, um, that they were able to put something in place, but that, yeah, it, it's just bizarre to me that that would be a response. And I can only assume it's a large role in that was their ego. Yeah, no, 100% that's what it is. I mean, um, uh, <clears throat> I, I guess here's the last thing that I wanted to kind of to put out there because I come across it a lot. There are going to be people listening to this episode that are going to say, well, I'm glad... And they're gonna they're gonna view that this was a challenge to whether or not they are a competent adult, and their response is gonna be, "Well, I already have life insurance through my work, so I'm good." Yeah. And I just want to touch on that last point. There's nothing wrong with having life insurance through your work, but just remember something: it is a benefit offered to you through your work, and in 99% of the cases that I have experienced with someone that has what they call group term insurance. It expires the moment that you separate employment. You do not get to take the life insurance with you. What I have been advocating, what Aziz has been advocating, and what I advocate to everybody I talk to is get your own personal policy. The stuff you get through work is bonus insurance. Because if you happen to die while you are employed through that company and you have opted to get the life insurance, it will be paid out to your beneficiary. But if you separate employment, let's say that you get in a car accident and then you can't go back to work and you end up losing your job, okay, because you just can't go to work anymore. I'm not talking about, you know, you had disability. I'm just saying that you get fucked up and you can no longer go to work, so you lose your job. Guess what happens when you lose your job? You just lost your life insurance. And let's say that that car accident ends up leading to complications and fucking kill you. Then you died and you had no life insurance. So there's all these variables when it comes to life insurance through your work, which again, it's a cool benefit. Don't turn it down. I would get it because it's usually super fucking cheap. When I say super cheap, I'm usually, they give you like one times your salary for like $4 a paycheck or something, or like $4 a month sometimes. It's super, super cheap. But that's the reason why it's so cheap, just so everybody knows. The claim payout percentage for group term policies is less than 2%. Yeah. Less than 2%. So 
So that's why it's so low is because everybody that's paying their $4 a paycheck to go into this life insurance, 98% of them are never going to actually cash out because they were not going to die while they are employed. Right. So I just, I think it's very important that this is not a challenge to try and make you feel that you need to find a justification. This is just an awareness to explain to you that if you do not have a policy that at least can get you buried or that can handle your financial responsibilities to your children, to others that you already have financial obligations to that don't leave other people saddled with your debt. This is not a challenge to make you feel like you're less of a person. This is a challenge to get you to think critically about your situation and to make a different choice once you've been filled with this knowledge. Yeah. That's what this is about. Yeah. And when it comes to your auto insurance, when it comes to having renters insurance, homeowners, the exact same thing. This is not a call to make you say, well, fucking, I got insurance, so I don't fucking care. Um, it's just to say, to think about what your current insurance situation is and uh, to challenge you to seek the advice from someone that's a professional that you know and you trust. And if you don't have someone that you know and trust, try and find someone that you know and trust. Yeah, and, yeah. And that's what it's all about is just to provide information so you don't have to be a selfish asshole when you're not trying to be. And if you are trying to be a selfish asshole, uh, a, a selfish asshole, then go fuck yourself. <laughs> that, that'll be the tagline for this podcast. Yeah. If you're trying to be a selfish asshole, go fuck yourself. Um, well, we can either wrap it up or you can toss me some of your like top top three most uh, annoying things you experience as an agent that you wish like everyone could have a glimpse at? Oh, most annoying thing. Okay. So insurance agents are not bill collectors. <laughs> They're not. Yeah. Um, every insurance company that I've ever came across has a 24 hour customer service number that you can call to pay your bill. So my biggest annoyance is when I get a call from a client that for whatever reason, they need to fucking change their bill shit. And they call me on like a night or a weekend. That's super fucking annoying. Like, it's just, don't call me when you got a billing issue, okay, of, of you not being able to like pay your bill on time. Call customer service. Now, if your bill's fucked up, like it's way more money, I get that. But call me during business hours because I imagine that it's not so important that the money was already taken out on a Sunday that there's really anything I can do about it in the first place. That's my biggest pet peeve is when I get calls about billing issues, when there's a 24 hour fucking customer service number for every insurance company out there, I promise you, because insurance companies have to be available in case you need to use your insurance. So there's always 24 hour <laughs> customer service line. Uh, another big pet peeve. Oh, this, this is a huge one. The audacity that people have when they think that they should be able to contact their insurance agent at the drop of a hat by showing up as though that insurance agent has been sitting with their thumb firmly up their ass <laughs> waiting for that person to walk in. The, the, the idea of calling ahead to find out whether or not they have availability is lost on a lot of people. Yeah. Um, that is my, cause I mean, let's be real. If I have to go to the doctor, do I just show up other than the emergency room, which is meant to be an emergency situation, but other than emergency room, can you just show up to your primary doctor and be like, yo, what up doc? I'm here. I don't feel good. 
Yeah. No, they're gonna be like, uh, fuck, you're making an appointment, Playboy. So that's that's the second thing is that that goes out of people's mind. Like they think like we're just sitting like ah, I'm waiting for ah, an agent, to, uh, a client to come in. I want to do some insurance stuff. Um, that's probably not how it is with, with anybody. <laughs> Everybody uh, has shit that they're finding out. They prefer to you know have a call and, and set a point with them. The last thing, the last thing, and I touched on this earlier, and you know it's just it is what it is. But if you're pissed off about your rates, your agent can't magically change them. Yeah. They can't. There's not like a secret wink, wink, double nod fucking family discount that I can give you. Because if there was, insurance companies would be out of business for the reason we talked about before about risk needs to be assigned. But what I will say is that there are discounts and the di- word discount is just another, it's it's a it's a cop-off in our industry. It's not an actual discount. Yeah. Here's what it is. If the amount of premium from a single household increases or the risk decreases, the amount of money you have to pay will decrease as well. So what I mean by that, if I have an auto insurance policy and I have a homeowner's insurance policy, That one household has two streams of revenue going to a company. That company will give a discount because why? The company is collecting money into the same coffer from two different streams. But the likelihood that you're going to crash your car and your house is going to start on fire the same day is so unlikely that now they have two streams of revenue. So that's why companies give multi-line, multi-policy discounts. Companies also give multi-car discounts because if you have three cars, the chances that you crash all three cars on the same day are so unlikely, but you have three streams of revenue coming in from the same household, from the same risk. Because when an insurance company looks at risk, they look at the risk of a household, okay, and the individual in that household. So if you have three cars, now you have three of the same risk, but you can't drive all three cars, and if you can... Uh, that's some cool shit. You're an X-Man. You're, uh, yeah, Multiplicity <laughs> Man or some shit. Um, wait, what was that movie? It was that Michael Douglas? Multiplicity Man? No. Uh, he guy, was, he was Batman. Batman. Uh, yeah, what's his what name? His... What the fuck's his name? Keaton. Keaton, Michael Keaton. There you go. <laughs> Multiplicity Man. Unless you're that shit. You ain't driving two cars with the exact same time. But um, it's just under understand that, that you can't fuck with premiums. But yes, if you're driving multiple vehicles... So we call it a discount, but it's not a discount. Sometimes there are occupational, quote-unquote, discounts. Uh, If you're a firefighter or uh, a policeman, it's just because people in those fields tend to be less risky. Same with teachers. Teachers tend to be less risky. Paramedics tend to be less risky uh, in the things that they do. And And they're major occupations, so there's just enough data out there to segment that. To segment it. So so that's just the last thing. Discounts are not discounts from what you think of, like, when you go to the store and we're slashing 20% off this. Then you're like, well, dude, if you did it before, why don't you do it again? I can understand that logic. Well, if you have the ability to lower your price point for a certain amount of time and you're not lowering it now, it's because you don't want to lower it. It's not because you can't lower it. Whereas insurance discount, it has nothing to do with the ability to slash prices. (laughs) But those are my three things, man. Yeah. Um, For me, so I kind of wanted to say my piece on this part too. So, Probably one of my number one biggest pet peeves is like billing related stuff, whether it's like someone calling 
incessantly to like pay a bill. Um, yeah, we do have customer service. We have 24 customer, 24 hour customer service. So unless you get a bill that's like fucking surprising, like, uh, what the hell is this for? Like, how come this went up a shit ton or how come something that even sometimes, how come something didn't get taken out? Is there something wrong? Um, if it's, if it's going to be a detriment to you, definitely not even if it's going to be a detriment, if something just doesn't make fucking sense, give me a call. Go ahead, give me a call. I'm happy to like figure out some answers for you. But if it's a you know a, a question of like making a payment, like oh I can't make a payment on time, yeah you know call customer service. Or here's what I always say, and I I've got a what? How long would you say my voicemail is for my cell phone? It's a long voicemail. It's a long one. It's a long one. And I've heard other people, you know, people have criticized me on it, and whatever. It's not going to fucking change though because my voicemail says. If you're a client and you're calling regarding um, any of your insurance with me um, and this is an emergency, call the customer service line and provide the customer service line. Um, And then I also go on to say, if you would just like to leave a message with me, please tell me your name, the reason for why you're calling, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Additionally, you can send me a text message because it's my cell phone. So send me a text message. Just tell me your name and why it is that you're calling me. Because even if it is just like, hey, I need to pay my bill. Honestly, I I guess I'm not as annoyed by that. What I am annoyed by is someone who calls me repeatedly and either A, just says their name. Like, I know what your fucking name is because they've saved in my phone. So unless you were calling me from a new number and you know I don't have your new number saved, don't just leave. Don't just send me a text message with like your name and then call me back because I'm not a concierge, okay? I have other shit going on. And frankly, taking time out of my day to take care of something small, like I need to prioritize basically. And I'll get, I'll help you, but there's other things on my plate. And I I just, you know, I want every one of my clients to be cognizant of that. Um, But yeah, if you can't leave me a message, um, you know, then then see if customer service can help you out if it's it's an emergency thing. Otherwise, leave me a message. Let me know. I'll get back to you. (laughs) But on that same token, and I think a lot of agents out there and, and like every damn near every company would agree, um, as frustrated as the general public is with the billing with their insurance, the agents are just as frustrated, I would argue, if not more, because it creates a greater headache for us. So like whenever the billing shit gets fucked up, like that's a huge pet peeve of mine. And that has nothing to do in a lot of cases that might have little to nothing to do even with the client. It's just like something in our billing system is just counterintuitive or wonky or there's been some type of system update and like and and frankly maybe i fucked up on something i didn't dot my i's and cross my t's but like some billing thing happens that's a huge pet peeve for me too so i i i think they're they're, they're two different sides of the same coin but billing related shit um yeah that's a huge pet peeve um i think the other pet peeve i have is when someone comes in and they want me to be an order taker um, so all they want to do is just like get the insurance and get the fuck out. Um, that's not really, that's not respectful of my time that I set aside for everybody. Um, both in the meeting and then moving forward, having them be a client, because if someone isn't listening to anything that I'm saying, like my time might get wasted later on when they've just got like a regular ass question on some shit, because we didn't have a conversation about what they had in place. Um, and then second to that, I think it's, it, or third to that, it's, um, I think that when someone comes in, they just want me to like take care of whatever their immediate need is and then just like be done, shut up, be done for the rest of the day. Um, 
a little bit of my ego comes into play, but I want to be able to help out everyone. But I also am acknowledging my the the skill set that I'm bringing to the table. And when someone just wants me to just put on you know a headset and you know put in the order through the drive through, have them pull out front and and you know exchange money for their for their happy meal. At that point, I am a little like, hey, you know, this is this is actually important shit, and I I. I think there's real value to it and you don't really fucking care. That actually, that is so annoying. I'm not going to lie. Many times I think to myself, I don't want that person to be my client. Now, legally I'm required to like, you know, provide a quote and all that other shit. If someone wants to move forward, I got to write them unless, you know, they want to go with someone else. But so I'm, I'm required to move <coughs> forward with that person. But the thought has occurred to my mind when someone only comes in, all they're looking for is the best price and they might even just be like, oh, I give them the initial price. I'm like, oh, that's way too much. That Like that shit coupled with I don't want to talk about anything else. That's a huge pet peeve. I frankly don't want that person to be my client because odds are too. And I've I've seen this plenty in, in, in my own experience, my professional experience. Um, that person is also going to be high maintenance. They are going to, you know. Uh, uh, get into a bunch of accidents and have other issues arise. It's just going to consume a lot of my time. Um, and the third thing that annoys me the most is kind of relates to what you're talking about with like discounts and everything and like, you know, best price or whatever. Um, rate increases, statewide rate adjustments. We won't even say increases, but statewide rate adjustments. Like, look, people, sometimes your rates can go up by 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 bucks a month. And not because you had any accidents or claims. Now that sucks. And I can identify with that, right? I can totally recognize that it sucks to be in a situation. And now out of nowhere, nothing has changed, but you've suddenly got to pay more for the same service or product. I know that sucks ass. But if, if your rate goes up by like five bucks and you make it a point to like, you know, call me a bunch of times and be like, Hey, why do my rates increase? I'm going to have a little, I'm going to be a little less impatient with you. Right. Or I'll still, you might not know it. Right. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, like, why are you calling me about this thing? Um, and what that comes down to is I try to have this conversation and this kind of circles back to, you know, the number two, I try to have this conversation with everybody about how rates change. Insurance companies need to maintain a profitability. a profitability. And then in addition to that, what AK had mentioned before is insurance companies also need to make sure they have a certain amount of money in reserves. And so in order to do that, they've got to adjust rates and they do it statewide. And some do it in different ways. Some companies are just like, look, um, we had a lot of people in this general area file a shit ton of claims last year. So now moving forward, we're going to have to make an adjustment. And in some cases, people see a huge rate increase. In some cases, they don't. So the the point is, it's it's important to ask, right? If after every after six months your renewal comes around and it like it goes up an extra three hundred dollars every six months, like you know that might be that's going to warrant a phone call. Why did my rates just increase by ten percent? But you know what doesn't happen when someone's rates decrease by ten percent? They don't call me up saying, "Hey, thank you so much." Yeah, that shit doesn't happen at all. So my only point is. I wish everyone out there understood how rate adjustments work, how they occur. If you have any questions about it and you want to talk ad nauseum about it, we'll fucking do that. You, you, you know, hit me up, send me an email, whatever. But um, that's another big thing. Like, it's just, it's what happens. No one's trying to steal from you. 
I also have had people be like, well, I thought my rates were going to go down after being with you for so long, to which I say I've never, ever said anything like that. You know, um, there's some companies have loyalty discounts and they're, you know, quote discounts. Some companies just don't. Um, the one that we write business through doesn't have anything like that. And I've never given anyone that impression. But there's this idea that like if you're with a company for a while, your rate should go down, at which my argument is. So you think that if you're with a company for a certain amount of time, your rates should go down. At what point would the rates stop going down? <laughs> so like, are you paying $10 a month for your auto insurance now because you've been with them for so long? Like, is that how the insurance world works for you? Um, that's what I want to say. And I think I've maybe tiptoed around that statement before just to, you know. You know what's funny though about that is that <laughs> longevity discounts, essentially um, a company has the bottom price that that they say that your risk is good for, and then they have all these factors, right? So let's say that that, that bottom number based off your risk is, you know, let's call it uh, $60 a month. And let's say that every factor that, that is a, a risk factor increases that, and you end up being at $85 a month. What some companies do with longevity discounts is they give you an arbitrary high number and one of that factors is length of time with that company. So as you are with a company longer, that factor decreases. And then by the time the longevity discount kicks in, that's the rate that you would have paid had they given you the rate based off of the correct risk. So it's just it's a little bit of trickeration that goes on that they're not willing to give you their best rate upfront because they believe in their actuarial data and in their formula for their business, that if you're not with them for, let's say five years, that you are more likely to cause a claim. But if you're with them for five years, you're less likely to cause a claim. So again, discounts are just a fancy way of saying what lowers your risk factor to cause a claim, which means the money has to be paid out. Yeah. Um, I, I, I actually want to say something, and I, I probably should have said it at the end of the episode, but this is a very basic notion that I think a lot of people don't understand. And once I, once I say this, I think people will get it. Insurance in its most basic rudimentary form is just a way of removing all of the risk off of one person and sharing it with many people. To give you an idea, let's say that you built a house from scratch using only your materials that you had in your backyard. You chopped down your own trees. No one helped you. You sawed all your own logs and you built this house. Okay. And this house that you've built all on your own, you've placed every worldly possession of yours into that house. And everything that you've spent time and energy and resources to make, you place in that house. And then the house gets hit with a lightning bolt and it starts on fire and everything burns. So now you have to replace everything in that house. All of the labor, all of the materials that went into it are all gone now. So instead of you taking 100% of that burden, what you do is you go find 10 neighbors that all did the same thing, all built their house. And you say, how about this neighbors? Each of us are going to put $10 a month into an account. And if one of our houses gets struck with lightning, we're going to go into that account and we are going to pull money out to help that person's house that got started on fire. 
And you do this and you replicate it over and over. Now you literally have millions of people that are paying a little bit of money into this account. So if someone has to use it, it can go to help that person. That's what an insurance company is. It's spreading the risk and taking it all off of just your shoulders and sharing it with everybody in the company. So when it comes to rate increases, it's because you need to have enough money and more money was paid out than they thought would be. So they have to increase how much everybody kicks in. And when they do that, everybody is just having to spread the risk with everybody else that has a policy. So I just think it's important for people to understand that that's insurance in its most basic form is just about spreading risk and taking 100% of it off of your shoulders and sharing it with others. Yeah. So if you can understand that most basic concept, then you can understand why insurance matters is that you don't have to take on 100% of the financial risk. You get to spread it amongst all the other people that are with that company. And as you are spreading and sharing that risk, if the group has higher risk, everybody in that group has to kick in more. Otherwise, it doesn't work. If you are paying money in this little scenario that I imagine where you have 10 neighbors. And, and George's house and burns. George's house burns to the ground and you have to pay out. And now there's no more money in the account. Well, shit, we got to put the money back in that you were, let's say you were doing that for three years. That was probably a pretty large amount of money. Well, now it's back down to zero. So you have to catch up because... What if next week Jim's house burns and now there's zero dollars? How pissed off is Jim that he's been paying his ten dollars in for the last three years, but now his house burned down and there's no fucking money in there? Right. And that's why you have so to then everybody house. has to chip in more, and maybe because George's house burned down, well, everyone else is gonna have to pay a little bit more, but George is gonna have to pay more than everyone else, even on top of that, yep. because now George's, you know, that's that's the only that's the only right thing it, the. the that it needs to be balanced out, but if everyone has to pay the same amount of the same amount as George, then everyone's gonna be like, "Well, fuck this! I don't like this plan anymore." Yeah. So they'll George. move over. They'll move over to a different plan. Either yeah. that, or they'll kick George out. But if they kick George out, then who the fuck's gonna pay for the increased premium? Yep. So it is just a matter of balancing things out. Every insurance company they don't want to lose people. Okay, they sure as shit don't want to have less money coming in. But they need, it, on that same balance, they need to make sure that they're making proper adjustments so that enough people are incentivized to stay within the plan and so that the plan is properly funded. Different companies do different things, but it's all about segmentation. Okay, who's going to balance it out? Who's going to be the George in this situation? Because we need George to stay on. The dude just filed a huge fucking claim. And we got to make sure we're we have money coming a little bit. We don't want to charge George too much. Right. We, we want to make sure that segment isn't charged too much because, you know, we want to keep it. But it needs to George should understand that George is going to have to pay a little bit more because George didn't maintain his house properly. And like this fire fucking started. Right. But, yeah, that's just basically the concept kind of broken down into like a, you know, very high level view. But um, I I think that pretty much just kind of wraps up this conversation. I think we went to a couple of different spots and I thought it was pretty good i i hope that um you know with whoever's listening to this that you feel like we kind of looked at things from maybe not a, a a company perspective but just from a person's perspective um you know the last thing that that i really want to mention is that if 
this is something that both my brother and I are passionate about. And this podcast isn't going to be full of conversations like this. Just, I know it's the second episode on here, but this is something that, that I'm really passionate about um, that, uh, that, that contains a lot of information that I think a lot of people would be better knowing or at least being open to knowing more about. Um, so I kind of wanted it to be one of the earlier episodes and it just so happens to be the second one. Uh, we'll have future podcasts talking about, you know, other industries that people I feel should have a better knowledge of industries that I'm not in. Um, that said, if anyone listening to this, you know, I happen to pick up any good information, you don't necessarily need to come to me. Maybe you already have a good agent, but you know, in, in terms of how much they service your shit, or maybe you have a, a family friend or, you know, your parents have an agent. I would encourage you to even just go to that person and just go to them with, um, you know, uh, go to them with intention to learn more. And I guarantee you, if you have an agent that is, that cares even just a little bit, they will be happy to give you this information. I guarantee you that. Now, that said, I would hope that you would go into any meeting with anyone, you know, spending their time that you go into it, not necessarily like looking to spend more money or anything or, or buying any of their products or services, but be genuinely um, invested in learning more information so that you can make sure that you're protecting yourself and other people around you uh, to at least an adequate amount, maybe not as much as you'd like to, but just to an adequate amount, something that's um, going to leave the world uh, a little bit of a better place than before you got that information. You know what I mean? So just, I would encourage you to reach out to whomever is in your circle, um, whether it's a personal one, a professional one, and just uh, continue this conversation. And if you don't have someone like that, by all means, hit me up, um, hit up my brother AK. Uh, we're not going to leave any of our uh, business information here because we do want to make it clear that, you know, our opinions that we expressed on this, they're not the opinions that are held by the company through which we write business. So I want to be very clear on that. Um, we didn't get into product specific stuff because uh, if we brought up one thing, kind of like when you're we talking about the insurance, stuff, the life insurance stuff before, if we brought up one example um, and a ton of people are listening to it. It might not be appropriate for everyone, you know, listening to that content. And so um, we're not going to provide any of um, our professional um, uh, insurance stuff on this podcast. But if you're listening to this, you can email me at aziz at samepagestories.com. Um, I advise you, I would advise that you uh, check out my, uh, my blog, my website, Go to samepagestories.com. You're going to find this podcast on Spotify and iTunes under The Talking Beard. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at uh, samepagestories. So reach out to me if you want any more information on this. And I'll be happy to, to go more in depth. If you're interested in taking a look at what you have in place or if you know someone... Um, who who maybe could benefit from just having like a a one-on-one -on -one chat with me um give me a shout let me know and you know we can take things from there but if nothing else um be sure to to get in touch if not with me it, with someone about making sure that all your shit is taken care of before 
you know, frankly, it's too late. So, yeah. Anything else you want to add to that, AK? I think you summed that, uh, you really summed that up really nice. Um, I don't have anything else to add. Cool beans. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, yeah. Stay tuned for the next podcast. And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Bye.